What up, Doe One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey at the slightly later date of a Thursday evening, but we are here for the college football podcast, Boston JT Party. Um, Ryan, we are at that point of the season now, three weeks in, coming up to week four, and we know what that means when it comes regards to college football. Conference season is here. The scrub non-schedules, for the most part, are done. We've seen a lot of upsets and close upsets in the schedule so far, but this week coming up, six ranked matchups, tons of good games coming. We're really getting into the meat of this season now. Yeah, this is where the uh, the college football implications really start, where ranked matchups weigh heavily, and interconference and interdivision battles will go a long way to deciding. Who gets one to four titles now are being contended for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some teams who already their hopes are on the line this weekend. You lose, you're out. That's how brutal the world of college football can be. But before we get to that, we of course have a full slate of fixtures from week three to have a look at to dissect the storylines coming out of this weekend as well. So we're going to get on with that very shortly. I just got to get all the regular stuff out the way first. So all our housekeeping before we go. Roar of the Lions UK Discord if you want in. Just let us know and we will send you out a link. Main podcast um, will be coming to you later in this week. I'm not entirely sure yet. The Falcons preview show. Um, just with Matt on holiday at the minute. It's just me prepping the shows and doing the shows. So I'm having to do them as and when I can. Hence why this one is a day late. Just want to make sure these shows are done properly. So we'll be coming your way. Keep an eye out for the announcement there. Uh, don't forget to like and sub everything, Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff. We really appreciate all of you who support the podcast. Uh, don't forget about Lions Nation Unite, Herman Moore's pet project, bringing together the best in Lions content creators on YouTube. Content by the fans, for the fans. And don't forget, we are a Twitch affiliate, we are monetized on YouTube, we have a tip jar, all that sort of good stuff. So if you want to support the show that way, we would really appreciate it. But we just appreciate having you in the building. That is all we really care about. And we've also got our feedback form. If you want to give us any feedback on the shows, how we can make them better, etc., just fill one in, send them in, and we will take your feedback in due course. Um, so that is all that. Right, let's say we are going to be previewing week three. Uh, sorry, reviewing week three. And then we are going to preview week four. Four shout out to Brent who's in the building on YouTube. He goes, Howdy lads, the Wolverines looked like doggy do last week. A lot of the big teams did not look good last week. Georgia struggled, Michigan struggled, like a lot of teams in the AP top ten struggled this week. There were very few actually who looked good, so they are not on their own there, but we will go through all that. Just one quick bit of news to go through before we crack on with the main show today, and it was what we were talking about last week. Very unsurprising, but we've lost our first head coach of the year officially. 
Mel Tucker is gone from Michigan State. They have fired him for cause. That means they can nullify his contract. They don't have to pay him a penny because of everything that has gone off there. Um, he's gone, and they are now looking for a new head coach. So, not sure who that's going to be. We'll keep you updated on the coaching search as it happens. But yeah, three weeks in, first coach down, and I think there might be some more following very soon, but results orientated this time. So, let's just get straight into the chat this week about the football because there is a lot to talk about and if you listen to the show very often you will always know that the team we talk about first is usually hidden away in the title of the show talking about the Boston JT party today we are of course talking about Florida State they are going to schedule our list of main games that we are going to look at this week I've got four this week then of course we're going to go through the upset corner we're going to go through our pick watch fixtures and then we're going to end with the Survivor Corner, and if they weren't headlining it this week, Florida State would be the biggest survivor of them all, travelling to Boston College, who just lost to Northern Illinois from the MAC G5 opposition, and barely sneaked away with a victory by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin from Holy Cross, who are an FCS team, they're not even in the FBS. The Seminoles come rolling into town ranked number three one of the best offenses in the entire country and with four minutes gone in the second half they scored two touchdowns in the first four minutes of the second half they were leading 31 to 10 and I turned the game off because I thought yeah this 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 one's done they're going to rack up 60 on them at this point and then five minutes later I was back because the nearly the biggest upset of the season happened here. So like I say, FSU were up 31-10. to 10. Um, Boston College scored towards the end of the third, got a touchdown back, but they missed the PAT, which is going to be crucial. We'll come back to this in a bit. Florida State then fumbled the kickoff. I think it was Trey Benson gave it straight back to Boston College at like their own 20. But then they managed to turn over Boston College on downs. They were really aggressive on a fourth and one and they were stuffed. But then one play after getting the ball back, Florida State proceeded to fumble the ball on a carry. I think it was Lawrence Toafili this time. And they gave it straight back and it was taken in for a touchdown. Again to Boston College. They missed the two-point conversion. But suddenly from 31-10, it's 31-22. Florida State then looked like they were finally going to put it to bed. They had a really promising drive downfield, but then they got called for offensive pass interference, 15-yard penalty, took them out of field goal range, forced them to punt the ball. Boston College then drove all the way from their own five, and their quarterback Castellanos took one in for a touchdown, and before you knew it, it was 31-29, with 2.20 on the clock and two timeouts for them to call. They stuffed three straight run plays from Florida State. They were about to get the ball back before Florida State's bacon got saved by a face mask call on the third down against Boston College. Gave them the first down and they escaped with the narrowest of wins. But if Boston College had converted their two PATs along the way, the two-pointer and the one, they would have won this game. Ryan, I didn't think we'd ever... Be talking about Boston College in one of the main slots this season, and maybe it's not all on them being good, but my oh my, we nearly saw the greatest of upsets in Boston last weekend. 
it's definitely not them being good now. Right. It's all an FSU. Sloppy. 31 10 up, cruising. And then they think, oh, the job's done. They take their foot off the gas. Their play calling got super conservative because they were just trying to milk the clock. And some very costly turnovers. And yeah, it's a, a good drive in the end on defense, but bailed out by whoever got called for the face mask was probably like, probably got proper yelled out in that changing room at the end. That was a really big penalty and it changed the entire end of the game. So, yeah, FSU hang on by the skin of their teeth. Baylor just going to be one of those teams all year that are just going to be super good in part, terrible for the rest of it, just trying to cause upsets. But not the best start to a potential playoff run, but ultimately they didn't actually lose. I think... They, I think this will be a wake-up call now. I feel like they're going to probably realise we've got to put teams away a bit more, be a bit more savvy, and we can't just rest on our laurels. So there's some very disturbing things that have come from this. That's what I want to talk about next. Is this a blip in the road, or is this indicative of some more serious problems maybe in this team? Because we thought they were one of the most all-rounded teams in college football this year, and they're definitely playoff contenders. But Boston College... We say that it wasn't because they were good, and no, they weren't, but 19 penalties in this game, 19 for a total of, I think, about 170 yards, including the face mask, which lost them this game. Wasted a prime chance to win this as a serious game. They won the time of possession by eight minutes. O-line only gave up 6% pressure on... Oh, I'm sorry, only gave up six pressures. Now, when you think Jared Verse, that... D-line of Florida State, it's elite. There are some great guys on there. For the hold them to six pressures, there was one sack, two QB hits, three pressures outside of that, and that was it. And on Boston College's side, they had a 17% explosive play rate on offense. That's 99 percentile, so that's plays over 20 yards. There were some real concerns with Florida State's trenches here because the amount of times Boston College dug themselves out of drives in their own end zone, Castellanos had at least three quarterback runs when they were at third and long by their own like end zone. And you're thinking, God, they'd just be lucky not to give this up for a safety. The offensive line moved Florida State around. And, and likewise, on the other side of the ball, they, they got after Travis a bit. They laid some hits on him. Is this, you know, like you say, they, they were asleep in this game, but do you... Do you think there are some big problems that have been brought up here? Because Boston College exposed them a lot in this game. They kept the ball well, hard to get turnovers. I don't know. What do you think? I think from what I've seen so far, I'd say it was one bad week where I think they did genuinely underestimate Boston College. I think they maybe even showed a bit of disrespect. Like they thought, they can't do this. They can't come back. They don't have it in them. Their quarterback's not that good. I said the quarterback... So that has been naff, but it did all kind of come together this week for him. It showed a little bit of promise for Castellanos, let's say, because they were, they must have been fretting about their quarterback situation coming into this season. I'd say it was still a lot of question marks about. So Boston College can take a lot of plaudits. If you overlook going 31-10 down, the entire second half, like I said, they were a different animal, like I said, and they looked good on both sides of the ball and some questionable situational downs are out there. i say they could have got that to overtime if not won the game. Yes. It's hard, let's say, a, a game of two total halves, let's say, in the second half, they just looked bad. 
on both sides of the ball. Like they just forgot how to play, and like in the end, they were just trying to see it out. And you can't play football like you're just trying to hang on and wait for the clock to run out. Because as you showed that last drive, trying to run it, but stuffed up the middle and contained three times, and they killed that. It was about twenty seconds or something. They milked so much stupid before they had to give the ball back. Like that's poor player calling. As much as it is bad on the field as well, their play calling way too conservative and too obvious as well. Uh, Boston College could see those coming from a mile off, so they just stacked in the box and just got the line. The defensive line was just stout in the end. So, yeah, they can consider themselves very lucky. If they do that again, they blow a big lead and then they hang on by their skin of their teeth. I will actually think of them that, yeah, maybe they are pretenders. Well, I mean, they're coming up against a team this weekend who will take no prisoners if they act like that against them. Um, and, I mean, they, they struggled over. There was just a 5% explosive play rate for them, which is not great. Third down success rate was only 30% for them. That's 20th percentile. They were not good at stopping the run at all. For Boston College, they did well. Thomas Castellanos, the quarterback, he was 20 of 33, 305 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He ran 16 times for 95 yards at 6 yards per carry. Got a touchdown on the ground as well. As I was saying earlier, they couldn't contain him. Boston College's O-line was moving them around and creating rushing lanes for the quarterback. And for the running back, Kai Robichill looked really good. 21 carries, 64 yards. Only was 3 yards a carry, but he got the hard yards on early downs. He got himself a touchdown on there as well. As for Florida State, they, they did what they needed to. Jordan Travis was himself, 16 of 24, 212 yards, two touchdowns. Took a hit in the game. Guy needs to learn when to slide and give up. He plays too much hero ball, and that's going to bite him if he keeps on doing that. Trey Benson with a score on the ground, as he always does. DJ Lundy, touchdown in there as well. Johnny Wilson continues to be great for them. Four receptions, 105 yards. So some pretty big plays on there from him, but... I think overall, this I, I don't know with this Boston team. Is it just a case of they're really young, they're inexperienced, and they're they're growing because they've had some really bad ones. They've had some really bad results, but they did hang in this game and they've shown potentially some flashes there. If they can rebuild those trenches, they should be just fine in the long course if they've got a QB who's good as well. Yeah, I don't think we'll see the fruits of this this year. Maybe towards the end of the year, because let's. They've been decimated last few years, like I said. I'm pretty sure most of their fans as well, a lot of their fans, have kind of just given up with them. Like you say, there was, no kind one of just, there. there was no one there. There was no one there last week. Like I say, I know you, the stadium was basically empty. And I kind of just feel sorry for them. Like I say, they're in a, a really difficult spot right now. But like I said, the future, if this quarterback can show, he's the future. Because like he's very young. I'm pretty sure he's got quite a lot of eligibility, this Castellanos. So maybe if they do find him to be their next guy after Djokovic, then maybe they can rebound in the next coming years. Yeah, a very close run thing there for Florida State. And they say they've got a big match coming up this weekend. We're not done talking about them. We'll come and talk about them a little bit more in a bit. But they escape by the narrowest of margins away on the road to Boston College. So well done to Florida State. Go 3-0, and but much bigger tests coming up. Right, there was one... Other big game last week. I think we were going to start with this before I thought of the title of the show. And um, Jay Novell wrote some very big checks last week with his mouth. The Colorado State Rams head coach against Deion Sanders. The Colorado Buffaloes 
head coach. It, of course, was the big in-state rivalry. The Rams state were underdogs by nearly 24 points, I believe it was. Norvell spent all week riling the team up. You know, Deion Sanders started taking it to heart. The team did. This was a lot more fun of a game than it had any right to be at this point. It went on uber late, so I had to watch it the next day. It didn't kick off till like 3 o'clock. Over here, but Colorado... We say Florida State nearly got upset. Colorado really nearly got upset on this one. It ended 43-35 to for Colorado, but it took two lots of overtime to get them to the victory. This is sort of the first bump in the road for Coach Prime as they really struggled to put State away. And the Rams, for the most part, actually looked a lot better in this game than I thought this they thought they were going to. This was a really feisty affair. So the teams, because of all the animosity during the week, they squared off before the kickoff. You could already tell that this was going to be a feisty one. Colorado State safety Henry Blackburn has been in the news all week. He put a huge hit on Travis Hunter, knocked him out the game when he didn't even have the ball. Now, some trying to argue that he was committed to the tackle before the ball went past. Was it? That's for you to decide. I don't think it was. But Hunter is now going to be out for the next three weeks as a result of that, which means he misses huge trips for Colorado to Oregon and USC. It's a big blow for that team. And Blackburn himself has been receiving death threats and all sorts in the aftermath of the game, but it was not a pretty hit at all. Shadur Sanders, he gorged the eyes of defensive lineman Mohamed Kamara, got his fingers stuck in his grill and gorged him in the eyes. So Kamara then thought, right, I'm going to get you back for that. He grabbed his face mask on one play in overtime, and then on the next play, he hit him with his helmet, was ejected for targeting. It was a forceful hit and he put some weight behind it. But Sanders got back up and was able to finish the game. And overall, there were 27 penalties in this game. Uh, there were brutal hits everywhere. Late hits out of bounds, assisted tackles where they were putting in more juice than usual. Um, this was about as brutal as it got. For the game itself, it was all over the place. There wasn't a passing touchdown from a quarterback until the fourth touchdown of the game. So it started off with a Shiloh Sanders pick six. He ran it about 80 yards back to the Colorado State end zone. They went up early. Colorado State then bought out the trick playbook. Wide receiver Tory Horton threw a touchdown pass about 30 yards to the tight end in the end zone, leveled it up. Then State took the lead, Ron Harge the third. It was a 45-yard fumble return, I believe, off Travis Hunter. I think it was. Uh, but they scoop and score for 45 yards, so State took the lead. Then Xavier Weaver, is finally a passing touchdown from Shiloh Sanders, leveled it up at 14 all, but then State hit back straight away. Louis Brown, touchdown 21-14 to them, and he, he did this weird sort of taunting celebration to Deion Sanders afterwards, although he didn't get called for it. And then there was a big lull in the game, so there was no points scored between four minutes to go in the second quarter and then 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter the third was completely barren as the defenses sort of took over a bit Colorado State were leading 21-17 after a Buffalo's field goal um, then Colorado State their tight end Holker 
really great game for him. He scored this really amazing touchdown. He grabbed the ball at his ankles at about the 25. He had a Buffalo defender wrapped all around him. And then he just sprint for the pile on, managed to get in there. The Titans don't usually show that sort of speed. Puts them 28-17 up. Buffaloes then get a field goal back. It's 28-20. And then the drive everyone's talking about. There's two minutes, six seconds left on the clock. Two timeouts for Shiloh Sanders to rescue his team, the game. And he does that. He leads a drive that finished with 40 seconds still on the clock. Touchdown pass to Xavier Horn. And then they were able to convert the two-pointer to take it to overtime. In first overtime, Shadur finds Harrison for a touchdown. And then Fowler Nicolosi, the uh, Colorado State quarterback, he finds Tory Horton for a touchdown as the teams match one another. Second overtime, Harrison gets his second touchdown from Shiloh Sanders. They convert the two-point conversion. Colorado State can't answer. Fowler Nicolosi is picked off in the end zone on fourth down, and it is game over. Um, I don't think we were expecting such a competitive outing here from Colorado State, Ryan, but... They went out there, they backed up their tough talk, but again, another team who's going to be ruining mistakes when they should have won this game and it exposed Colorado. This hype train now has a few hitches on the ride now. Yeah, State could have and might should have won that game. They, they were in a position that fourth quarter to figure it out. I'd say they had a healthy lead, there wasn't too long left, but yeah, they just went, they went soft. They just ran out of juice right at the end when it really mattered. And I love what Jay Norvell did. Got under their skin. They were rattled. Colorado were piss poor, I think. Like, they did not look good. Their defense looked horrible. Like you say, Mark's got pick six, but for the most part of it, it was poor. Like you say, they, Colorado State, like you say, pulled everything out of the bag and they were chasing shadows, missed tackles, blown coverages. And, yeah, I don't think Dion really knew what hit him. And they were really lucky. Like I said, those penalties, like, I get, like you say, that he was upset with the eye poke. But in overtime, don't give stupid penalties away like that. Like, you, you've got to be more mature. Like you say, the face mask and then they get yourself ejected. Like, in a regular time, do you know what? Fair enough. But not in overtime. You can't leave your defence. You can't give away a penalty outage and leave them shorthanded like that. So that showed uh, it, it was a level of maturity that that player probably would have liked to have those back that should have got under his skin. But yeah, it was messy. It was ugly. Blackburn absolutely could have stopped. He slowed down. He changed route and he purposely hurt him. I'd say he should have been ejected. It was a it was a poor tackle. He, he just went out and laid all his weight on him. I'd say a lacerated liver. So at least minimum three weeks out for Hunter. And that'll be a huge loss for them in two games, which could very well decide if they're going to be in a Pac-12 title game or not. Like I said, they, they really could have needed him. But Date can do this to Colorado's defense. What the hell are USC going to do? What could what could Oregon do? Like, it's worrying. Like yeah. I said, their offense, yep, Shadow Sanders still looks every bit of the MVP. But is everyone around him on the same page? Is the supporting cast on the other side of the ball also up to the standard? I don't think it is. And I think we will see. This could be the TCU of last year, like I said. Too many shootouts. Too many games where they're like, oh, well, they should have lost that. 
but the other team let themselves down. So they can't they can't get into these every week. They're gonna have to buckle and knuckle down next week. Yeah, and you know there was so much fanfare over this. Dion's mum gave the pre-game speech. You know the Rock was there. Little Wayne was there. They turned this into this was like you know college game day was there as well. So this was full out circus for this one, and maybe it's humbled them. I think it might have. Dion was very nice about Novell afterwards, so maybe he's like, yeah, I've got away with one here. We've got two massive games coming up. I mean, for Colorado State, when people say a penalty is important and that, and we say they are, well, Boston College gave up 19 penalties in their game, which they maybe could have won without those. They lost. Colorado State, 17 penalties for 182 yards. That's nearly two football fields worth of penalties. You can't give that up during a game, specifically one you're leading for a fair amount of as well. After the first quarter, they were leading for a big portion of that game. Can't do that, and you can't turn the ball over four times either. The quarterback threw three picks. They lost a fumble as well. I mean, this game's only very well and good, right, if they go and start winning after this now because they really should have won this game. Yeah, they beat themselves. I said there was. They say like it's the the scenario and the emotion get too big for you, and you've got to keep a cool head. But they didn't. Like I said they got too much into the Jay Norvell. Let's go out and kick their asses, and they literally tried to. And in the end, all they did was hurt themselves. If they half those penalties, they win the game. I said if they turn up, if they throw one less interception, might win the game. I said the quarterback kept him in it, but also he kept also keeping Colorado in it. I said too many turnovers, so I can't give them much credit because I feel like in the end they really let themselves down. And although they kept up the intensity and they made it interesting, right, were they ever really going to win when they were playing so sloppy and in their own heads? They wanted to turn it into a brawl, mm. and in the end that worked in Colorado's favour. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, they just kept their heads a bit cooler when they needed to. But there's two really big problems with this Colorado team. And it's fair to say this without disrespecting Prime and everything. One is the run game. They cannot run the football, which is a big problem because you can't rely on Shil- on Shadur, sorry, to be Superman every week. Because let's face it, they lose the game without Shadur this week. They don't win the TCU game without Shadur. You can't run the ball. In this one, Dylan Edwards got 10 carries for 57 yards, which is fine. It's five yards to carry. But after that, there were 15 other carries for 13 yards. When you come up against a team with a good secondary who can defend the pass, then you're going to be in a lot of bother. And I don't think they've come up against one of those so far. So I think it's fair to say the run game is a big issue there. And then the defense is the biggest issue of the lot. So just for the record, Colorado State's offense last year, it ranked 126th in the nation out of 131. They dropped 500 yards of offense on them in this game. 500. Not all just through the air, but Braden Fowler-Nicolosi, the quarterback, he was 34 of 47, 367 yards, three touchdowns, three picks. That's where Colorado have got lucky this year. They've turned the ball over six times already, six interceptions. So they give up loads of points, but they just get enough turnovers to make themselves valuable to this team. But they can't guard guys. The three, you know, the Colorado State quarterback only threw to four guys. Torrey Horton, 
He's on my preseason to watch list. 16 receptions, 133 yards and a touchdown. Louis Brown, 10 receptions, 131 yards and a touchdown. Dallin Holker, the tight end, he was amazing. Six catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns from the tight end. You can't guard tight ends, you can't guard the deep threats. That's criminal there from Colorado. And I think you've got to rely on Shadur. 350 yards, four touchdowns and a, an interception for him. His first of the year, and it wasn't really his fault because it got stole out of his receiver's hands. I mean, the offense looks good even without Travis Hunter. You've got Xavier Weaver, 9 of 98 for a touchdown. Michael Harrison, 7 for 76 and two touchdowns. Jimmy Horn Jr., 66 yards, a touchdown on seven. I mean, they've got a credible triple threat without Travis Hunter, but... The defense is awful, isn't it, Ryan? That's the 126th ranked offense from last year. And three of their guys have put down 100 yards on you, and they've ran the ball down your throat pretty well as well. That can't continue going forward. No, because pretty quickly, we, I expect within a week or two that someone's going to narrow down this offense. And that defense cannot win them a game. Their offense can give it a healthy enough lead like it did this week where the defense can just hold its own. But I reckon Zachariah Branch is going to cause that defense no end of problems with Caleb Williams. They're going to torch this secondary with no Travis Hunter. Those USC are stacked. Like I said, if that USC defense just does a little bit enough to like slow down Shadow, like, they could get their ass whooped. And all it takes is two or three losses and everyone will stop caring about Colorado and Sanders. No one will bat an eyelid if they lose a couple uh, games in the next few weeks. That hype train will just derail. Yeah, and they're basically facing USC Light and Eugene this week when they go play Oregon, so it's going to be a big test of their credentials. But no run game, bad defense, that is not a good recipe going forward. If you take out the picks, then you're in trouble. But we'll talk more about that in the Oregon matchup later for them, but... They get through by the skin of their teeth. Colorado about to face... They're about to face their season. Oregon on the road, USC at home. So, yeah, they escaped. Well done to Colorado State for putting up a hell of a fight. But for them and Boston College, you've got to clean up the turnovers, guys. 36 penalties between the two of you. have basically lost both of you your games. That's why discipline matters. And that's why turning over the ball matters. So, yeah, there we go. Um... A shout out to some people who've joined us this evening. Grandizer's in the building. He's been listening to his new wave. Hope you're doing well. Grandizer Lisa De Lorenzo is in the building. Hope you are doing well, Lisa. I've seen Maniac Sports on Twitch as well. Hope you are doing well there, Tim. Um, right, let us move it on. Got a couple more in the main section. Now, so as these shows go on, I like to evolve the concept of what we do on here sometimes. And... In the main show segment, obviously I want to talk about the best games during the week, but also there's a team who's been catching my eye for the last few weeks, and I've been wanting to talk about them a bit, and I figured it would be nice, sort of in this main slate of games we talk about, to shine a light on teams who are not getting much attention when maybe they should be getting a bit more attention because they've just been ignored at this moment in time. So I'm going to try and focus on a different team every week, sort of out the ordinary, and give them some love and... There's one team who we really need to take an eye on now, Ryan, and I mean, that is the Florida International Panthers. Um, played UConn this weekend, beat them 24-17. to We'll talk about the game in a minute, but the last time we heard of Florida International was in week zero 
when they lost 22-17 to Louisiana Tech. And the quarterback, Grayson James, registered the stat line of 5 for 14, 4 yards and a pick. (laughs) This was a team that was ranked 117th on offense last year, 120th on defense. The defense only gave up less than 30 points in two games all season. In the other 10, they gave up more than 30 And coming into this season, they were ranked 129th on ESPN's College Football Power Index. So basically only four teams below them. And after game one, you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be a rotten season for that. But would you know it? Things just have turned around for them there. Three games on the spin, they have won. They are now 3-1. and That defense that was so bad last year... They've already bested last year's total. Three games they've given up less than 23 points. Two of them, sub-20. And on offense, Mike McIntyre, who is known for his ability to turn around bad programs, he's done it in the Mountain West, got Colorado a title in the Pac-12, even though he didn't really do well outside of that. But for the most part, he's a great guy who turns around programs. He... Seems to be doing something good here. He dropped the hammer on Grayson James quick. After that game, he has not seen the field again. And in came 18-year-old true freshman Keon Jenkins, who has led the program to three victories in a row. Now, he's doing what freshmen do, especially true ones. He's turned the ball over a bit, eight times so far. Three picks, five fumbles, but he's grading at 60 on his fumbling, so I think most of them have been recovered. But still, but he's throwing at a decent 56% for 867 yards and five touchdowns through three games. The offensive coordinator there is David Yost. He was the quarterback coach at Oregon when one Justin Herbert was there. He was the guy who trained and developed Justin Herbert. And Jenkins, during his long career, this is the first and only other true freshman he's worked with as a starter and they are really excited about him down there in Florida and what he can do on this team I watched their game against North Texas and some of the throws he was making as a guy who was 18 playing his first college starts man they beg a belief I'm really interested in him now but the offense is doing all right South Dakota transfer Shamari Lawrence he's at 291 yards and averaging over six yards per carry on the ground at running back fourth year Florida international wide receiver Chris Mitchell is having his breakout year. 320 yards and four touchdowns so far. It's already broken his stat lines from last year. The defense, a lot more aggressive. It's in the backfield more. They're going to break their tackles for loss record probably halfway through the season from last year. The linebacker, Donovan Manuel, seven tackles for loss and three forced fumbles already. Defensive back, Jamal Potts, three and a half tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. They are ranked 111th in total defense, but they are ranked 16th in the nation in their red zone defense. So they bend a lot of yards, but they don't break very often. Now, there are still some issues here. They were 24-3 up against UConn in this one. They didn't score a single point in the second half, and they gave up 14 unanswered in that half. But they still came away from the win. This is a team who is fighting very hard here. They've put away Maine... North Texas and UConn on the bounce. And North Texas, they were in the CUSA Championship game last year, the conference that FIU really struggled in. And UConn were a ball team last year. 
They're beginning the CUSA schedule this week against Liberty, where we will get a true barometer of where this team is at. But Mike McIntyre at Florida International, right? You've got to give him props. We wondered if that was a bad game for Louisiana Tech week one, but I think what we've learned since is actually no, this is a much better team than we thought. And for a team that lost all its star players last year, they've they've hit on something there and they're looking good. Yeah. It takes bravery for after one week to just yeah, to, to bench your quarterback. I'd say basically just, just sit him for a, a true freshman and just say, do you know what? We don't have anything to lose this year. So let's see what you've got. And yeah, like he's he looks every bit of a true freshman, I'd say bad turnovers. But then like you say, moving the ball down the field, taking risks, taking shots deep. So for every mistake he makes, he makes two good plays to make up for it. And he gives them chances to win games and he's keeping them in it right now. And eventually the turnovers, well, fingers crossed, they'll dry up. Like I say, and he will adjust and he will improve and he will work on his pocket presence as he matures. So as long as the team stands by him and as long as that defence keeps doing really well in between both 20-yard lines... And then when it gets into the uh, end zone, stops teams, they'll keep winning. Like I said, to turn it round in such a quick short of time, because not many other teams have played four games. Only a few teams have. They've played a lot of games in quick succession. Like They're riding the hot hand right now. So three and one is a really good start. And they're, they're, they're broken in now. Like I said, they're seasoned. And Liberty won't be just as yet. So... This, this could be a real big test for Liberty to see their credentials this year. Because it could be a potential huge banana skin for them. Like I say, that if they take them too lightly, I'll think, well, true freshman quarterback, we'll, we should be able to handle with him. They could get a bit of a rude awakening. But, yeah, start of conference play now. This is where we're going to see uh, the true metal of the young man. Yeah, exactly. And that's a game I'm going to be very closely watching now. Just see where they're at. If they can at least be competitive, they don't have to win. If they're competitive against that Liberty side, then their rebuild is heading entirely in the right direction. And under a coach like him, you would expect that just to carry on getting better by the year. So just wanted to show some love to Florida International because no one else is. They are doing really well. 3-1 and one, playing Liberty this weekend. Best of luck there for you, Panthers. However, a team... You know, one team is maybe breaking out. We don't know if they're frauds or not yet. One team that we do know are frauds now, though, are their opponents in this game. Jim Mora and UConn. I mean, ball game last year, you're thinking they got a good schedule this year. Go for them. They're 0-3 at this point now. They've not won a damn thing. And to go down to Florida International, I know they're, you know, they're getting a better team, but... Maybe it was just a one-off season, I think we're finding out with UConn now, right? They're going to struggle to turn this around into a bowl season now. Yeah, it could well have been a flash in the pan last year. Like I said, the higher kind of... I think every team, every sport, you know, when you get a manager and you have that buzz, and like, we want to play for him, and it's like a year later, it's like, well, it's not new anymore. It feels stale. We've come back from the bowl game, and it's kind of... Did, They've just gone back into their old ways. And like they started the season poorly. And frankly, it's really disappointing to see. I'd hate to think that last year was not the true UConn team. And they just rested on their laurels. Started the season poorly. And yeah, to make a bowl game, to get to like six, six and a half, like potential FPS wins when you're already on three, 
is a monumental task. They're going to have to go on a ridiculous run to get to bowl eligibility this year, but maybe that'll just be papering over cracks. Maybe that's all last year was. Like I say, we, we don't know what team they actually are. Maybe they kind of pulled the rug over our eyes a little bit. Well, the next fixture's away at Duke, so, you know, let's, that is a programme that's on the rise, so I would expect that to turn to 0-4 very quickly, but who knows, they may shock us, but yeah, UConn really down on there. And then the final game in sort of the main section, I picked this game up so, so, so much last year because it was one of my favourite of them all. Of course, I'm talking about the backyard brawl, it was high scoring, it was entertaining, and two of the most dominant defensive line performances you saw all season in some of the Power 5 units there. It was an absolute crackerjacker. The second iteration of that, you know, it's just, it only started again. It had an 11-year break up until last year. The second iteration of this new spell of it happened this weekend. And what we this is what we say in soccer terms, right? One for the purists. And generally what they mean when they say one for the purists is one for people who like defensive football. And this boy, oh boy, was defensive football personified. But me and you in the pick watch, we both got this right. We both went with West Virginia, I believe. And we were correct. West Virginia won this 17 points to six in what was, as I say, a defensive slugfest. And even more impressive for West Virginia, they lost their starting quarterback, Garrett Green, on the first drive. They had to put in a redshirt freshman quarterback in Nico Marchiol, and it took time to adjust to this change. Pittsburgh were winning 3-0 with about five minutes before the half when Phil Yerkovec decided he was going to throw this game away for them. He threw a pick to Aubrey Burks, one of the best safeties in the nation. He returned it to the pit pit 10-yard line. West Virginia scored off the resulting drive. Markiel passed it three yards to Cole Taylor. Um, they got in front 7-3. to three. Pittsburgh got a field goal back before the half ended. That was the last points they scored. C.J. Donaldson had a rushing touchdown in the third for West Virginia. They tacked on another field goal after Jurkovic threw another interception. And that meant the lead was up to 17-6. And in what I feel like is an uber-rare occurrence, it doesn't happen very often, no points whatsoever were scored in the fourth. But Jurkovic managed to throw his third pick in the last minute while trying to lead a drive to save the game just to put this into perspective both teams had exactly 211 yards of offense so they barely made 420 yards total offense in the game there was just 141 passing yards in the entire game um this was the least points pittsburgh have scored in this fixture since 1996 and they put up 73 yards of offense in the second half with zero points. This is just kudos to how well the West Virginia defense did. But you look at the team stats for this. Now, the, the site I use, it puts them in, put stats in green when they're good, puts them in purple and pink when they're bad. Out of about 26 categories I think I've got on here, I've got one green, 24 of them are bad. So yards per play, Pittsburgh 4.7, which is 21st percentile. West Virginia averaged 3.4 yards per play, which is third percentile. Explosive play rate, plays over 20 yards. Both teams 0%. There were no explosive plays in this game 
whatsoever. They were both 36% on third down success rate, which is only 32nd percentile. And they were both 33% in the red zone, which was 31st percentile. Neither of them could stop the run to save their life. Um, sorry, they could. They were elite in this one. The stop rate for the teams, 68% for Pittsburgh, 50% for West Virginia. Um, havoc rates were through the roof. West Virginia, it was 14%. And for Pittsburgh, it was 10%. Tons of tackles for losses. Two sacks for Pitt. One for West Virginia. But turnovers. Five turnovers for Pittsburgh in this. Three interceptions. Two fumbles. Both lost to West Virginia. And West Virginia fumbled twice and lost them themselves. The turnover look in this. So points gained off turnovers. 11.7 to West Virginia. And how many points did they win by? They won by 11. Um, Ryan, as we say, one for the purists. But for West Virginia, this is a hell of a win for them to lose your quarterback first drive of the game and then to hold Pittsburgh to six points the entire fixture when they're technically the bigger team from the Atlantic. They're one of the better Atlantic teams here. And West Virginia have not been a good Big 12 team recently. It's a very, very workmanlike performance for them and a big win for that program as well. Yeah, like I say, you think you compare it to last year's game where it was free flowing, points are plenty, lots of offense this year, polar opposite. Like I say, Nico Markiel, I'm pretty sure he might have been a five star recruit. He's four or five star, he's a huge recruit for their quarterback, like I say, got him like a year ago. But yeah, thrust into a game and he's not ready yet. Like you said, they, they never probably didn't really have any plans to play in this year. And the defense probably stood up and bailed him out. Like you said, they were stout in the middle. We know West Virginia and Pitt both got stout defensive lines. Sent many players to the draft from the defensive tackle period. And yeah, they could not get anything going. But Phil Jerkovic is a weird one. Like you said, you would have expected him as the elder statesman, the experienced man, to been able to out this very wet behind the years named quarterback but in the end he did nothing but cost them the game like you say they could not run on them like you say but he made very bad choices throwing the ball and in the end they could not generate anything and turnovers were would be the death of them west virginia by no means did they play in a play a clean game but they benefited opportunists i like said they took the ball away and when it counted they found the end zone. But yeah, even one for the purists, I would say, is a pushover. He's probably <laughs> stretching it. I say seven turnovers, but some people like ugly football. And this was definition of ugly across the part, everything. People like scrappy, ugly matchups. And like I say, sometimes you've just got to be able to find another way to win. And Pitt weren't able to do it. No, I mean, you know, you're winning the game when you're on 3.4 yards per offensive play. That's what West Virginia had. It was field position. When you turn the ball over five times, you give yourself good field position and you're able to run the ball just enough. And of course, when you're talking about West Virginia football and their offense, you can't talk without C.J. Donaldson. He's the guy there, especially when your quarterback goes out. 18 carries, 102 yards and a touchdown on the day for him, averaging just under six yards a click. Jalen Anderson backing him up, 19 carries, 62 yards as well. That's ultimately what won them the game. The ability Was to he not a tight end last year? 
Yeah, yeah, his wide receiver tight end. No, he was he was running back last year as well, but he was a wide receiver tight end hybrid when he started. What a there. weird mix when you go from a yeah. tight end to a running back. Because like, he's a massive running back, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think they discovered that he had like really good route running skills, and you know he could make guys miss, so they they transferred him uh, over. But and he got hurt in this game as well, so I don't know whether he's going to play this week. And it was a high toll game for West Virginia. It was a high toll game for both teams, but. This is, I mean, for for Pittsburgh, this is they've got to bounce back now because you know, I don't know what Yerkovec has just gone off. They were bad picks as well. I mean, the second one specifically, he just he looked, he stood, he stared the defender down and threw it at him. There was another one he tried to throw into coverage, into double coverage, and the, like everyone's watching him and he's trying to get it over the defender's back. The guy, the DB's already watching him when he throws it, just picks it right off. It was, it was awful, and for them. These Pat Narduzzi teams are usually really good. They've now lost two in a row to Cincy and to West Virginia in this, and they've got a big game this weekend. I mean, they've got to bounce back quickly because this isn't them. This doesn't look like a them team this year. I think they're just making bad choices at quarterback, aren't they? Slovis last year, Jurkovic this year. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Of all the portal decisions, we've seen how many of them have panned out really well. They seem to have drawn the short straw in back-to-back years. And yeah, <laughs> Djokovic's draft stock is just gone <laughs> like a magician. It's just gone into thin air. Oof. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's they've they've got some big thinking to do because you know they've won more games than anyone except Clemson in the ACC in the last four years. So they're not a bad team traditionally, but they did lose a lot to the draft. That vaunted D line is gone, and you could tell in this one that they were missing some of the guys there. So. Great win for West Virginia. It was not the greatest backyard brawl in the world, and we won't be talking about it in Game of the Year candidates this year, but one for the purists. I still enjoyed it a hell of a lot. So, well done, West Virginia. Right, those are sort of the main slate games I wanted to have a chat about. Now we'll move on into the upset corner, and the upset corner is, yeah, it's fairly big this week. We've got eight in here, and some quite... um, some quite poignant ones as well, let's say, Rai. We have one FCS team upset this weekend, and it just so happened to come from one team against their old head coach who abandoned them. Of course, we're talking about the Sacramento State Hornets. They travelled to Stanford. Their old coach, Troy Taylor, is now taking on the Cardinals, trying to bring them back to relevance wherever they're going to end up in the college football pyramid. Um... And Sacramento State came in, and I think to say beat them would be a bit of an understatement. Maybe, but they beat them 30 points to 23, dropped 450 yards of offense down on them, 11 of 16 on third downs, five more first downs during this game, less penalties, no, well, a couple of picks thrown by the quarterback, but on the whole, They were quite good here. Caden Bennett, the Sac State quarterback, 279 yards, a touchdown and two picks through the air. He rushed for 100 yards on the ground, got a rushing touchdown as well. Stanford, um, their freshman, continues to struggle at quarterback, Justin Lamson. He was just 7 of 17, but he did throw for 138 yards, but he threw a pick as well. They brought in Ashton Daniels. He was 4 of 7, 69 yards, a touchdown, and a pick in this game there, but it was, 
You know, this this Stanford team, right, it's just, it's rough at the minute. It's really rough. They've been at the basement of the Pac-12 for a while. They've brought in this new, exciting coach. Troy Taylor made Sac State a great team, and they've carried on been a great team without him. And this is still a big win for them. Stanford are not the biggest target, but for Sac State, a lot of good going on for that program at the minute. Oh, yeah. Like I say, whenever you get the chance to play your old head coach, you kind of step up. I think it kind of means a little bit more. It's 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 validation. That the program will live on even though you've gone. And I don't disagree with the hire. Like I said, I, I still like the hire. Stanford did well. He earned that shot. But uh, after last year, with all the whole BS with the mascot and the fans, Stanford football, like, you go back five, six, seven years, like Stanford were, they were the shit. Like I said, they, they, they were good. They were feared. They were respected academy. And right now, Shell out of themselves. I can't believe Benjamin Yerosek, one of the best tight end receivers in the nation. Can't believe he stayed at Stanford. They're going to drag him down with him. But I also don't agree with just hanging out a freshman quarterback to dry. He can't play next week, Lamson. Like I said, the, the backup didn't do much. Like I said, but I think I'd probably give him the go next week. Like, there's only so many weeks you can try with a freshman struggling and just watch him struggle it doesn't seem that fair because the Cardinals are not going anywhere anytime soon like I said sure as hell no one wants them like I said they're not going to be getting many invitations even though they're high academic school like football right now is in the doldrums and I'd say they're in the bottom 10% of FDF sides they're bad and no one wants to watch them and their fans are losing hope and faith in them but yeah take nothing away from Sac State huge win I believe they're two and one on the year now. I'm probably going to try and make another playoff run like they did last year. So yeah, sweet victory for them all around to get it done against their former gaffer. Yeah, exactly, and it sort of continues a theme where just a lot of FCS teams have come up, showed no fear, and taken down some of the lower hanging fruit on the schedule this year in terms of even Power Five teams are um, are not immune and say this is a Power Five scalp for an FCS team. That's this doesn't give Sacramento State the kick they need to go on and do something great this season. Nothing will. Stanford were favoured by only eight points, weirdly enough. So maybe some people saw this coming or were not quite so sold on them. But yeah, for Stanford, it's like Boston College. They are in they're in a lot of bother at the minute and just a programme at the minute with no direction. So you hope everything goes well for them going forward because... I mean, they're going to have to have a change of conference soon and, and who knows what's going to happen in their new digs, but we will see there. Dan McGuinness is in the building. Hope you are doing well there, Dan. Um, next up on the upset list, and this one this one heartened me because I stood up for South Alabama a few weeks ago, said that they could go to Tulane and beat them. Tulane kicked their ass quite roundly and me at a bit of humble pie on this one because I've bet on South Alabama in the Sun Belt this year. Well, lo and behold, South Alabama have repaid my trust a little bit here on the road to Power 5 opposition against Oklahoma State. Not only beat them, I believe smashed the living daylights out of them would be a more apt term here. 33 to 7 point winners. They won by 26 Oklahoma State was seven-point favourites for this game, so that's a swing of 33 points 
on the date here. And I mean, just looking at some of these numbers is insane. So yards per play, South Alabama, six and a half. That's 70th percentile. Oklahoma State, 3.3 yards per play. They are at home to G5 opposition. That is third percentile stuff there from them. Yards per drop back for the quarterback, over nine for South Alabama. So when the quarterback had, had time on his drop backs, he smoked them. For Oklahoma State, it was three. That is seventh percentile. Their explosive play rate was 5%. That's 16th percentile. Third downs, 27%. That's 14th percentile. And then you look at the defense. The run stuff rate, 11%. That's 0 percentile. You can't do any worse against the run. Havoc rate was 3%, which is 6th percentile. I mean, Alabama ran all over them. So total yards, 408 for South Alabama. 208 yards of offense for Oklahoma State at home to G5 opposition. This is just absolutely incredible. Carter Bradley, the South Alabama quarterback, 10 of 16, 152 yards, two touchdowns. LaDamian Webb, the star running back, 18 carries, 151 yards. That's eight and a half yards per carry, two touchdowns. Kentrell Bullock was going at four yards per carry in relief of him as well. Colin Lacey, the wide receiver for South Alabama, five receptions, 104 yards, two touchdowns, massive on the day for him. Oklahoma State, rotten across the board. They used three quarterbacks in this, Gunnar Gundy, Alan Bowman, Garrett Rangel. They combined together for 110 yards and a pick, and they threw 16 completions out of 35 passes. The run game... The top two running backs were averaging three yards per carry in this one. I mean, Mike Gundy's in a lot of trouble after this one, Ryan, because they had their literal ass handed to them at home by a Sunbelt opponent. But I like to think this validates the fact that South Alabama are also a very good team this year. Good mix on offense, stout defense. This was an ass whooping for the underdog. Oh, yeah. This one is a little short and sweet. Just, just embarrassed them at home. And again, when Oklahoma State beat Arizona State a few weeks ago, all three quarterbacks played. Why can't Mike Gundy just pick a quarterback? He plays his son. Like, Gunnar Gundy starts most games, don't finish them. I say, Alan Bowman, to be fair, he's bounced around quite a few teams now. I remember when he was at Texas Tech, and he had done a right lot. And then Rangel, also in another, I believe, another transfer. Like, you will not win any games if you'd keep splitting all reps on the centre by three quarterbacks. It's not a recipe for success at all. And then to have no run game and their defence just completely go missing, that was the easiest of pickings for South Alabama. It just feasted on them. And that is a great benchmark. Like I say, they've now set a high benchmark how they need to go out and perform in conference and against some lesser sides. Like I said, there's no room now for them. They know they can do that to a Power 5 side. They should go out now and look to do that every week. So they've set themselves a very high benchmark that they need to hang up to. But yeah, it was it was ugly. Like I said, especially at home. Those fans, can't imagine many of them stayed past quarter three. Gundy's under so much pressure now after this. It's a program are... going nowhere. No. It's, it is, it really is. But again, don't take anything away from South Alabama. Fantastic result for them and their Sunbelt 
campaign will begin this weekend and they will be flush full of confidence after a victory like that. So not a good week for Oklahoma State at all. And the problems continue for the Big 12. They, they took a pounding this week. And they took a pounding by a conference that took a pounding the week before and had resurgence. Of course, we're talking about the MAC, Another G5 upset against the Big 12. Iowa State, the Cyclones, and good God, you talk about teams who are directionless and look awful. How long can this be able to continue? Ohio, the Bobcats, I mean, you. I think you pegged them to win the MAC this year? Been a little bit inconsistent so far, but Curtis Rourke has been injured. Um, but he's healthy and fit again. Ohio at home, they win again, one for the purists. 10 7. Uh, 17 points all game. Iowa State didn't score until the fourth quarter. I think there was four minutes to go when they finally scored in this game. They weren't able to get back on it. It was. One for the purists, let's say. Curtis Rourke, 16 of 32, 135 yards and a touchdown. Did what he needed to do. Seven carries for 58 yards on the ground. Eight yards per carry, so they used a quarterback drills very well in the running game. Sia Bangora, he was only running at three yards per game, the lead running back. O'Shawn Allison was running at less than three yards per game. They had 27 carries combined for 80 yards, so this wasn't... This wasn't some kind of great running performance from them either. This was just a very poor game all along. Sam Wigloose, the wide receiver, I think he's tight end, 53 yards on five receptions for a touchdown, the, uh, the standout there for Ohio on their offense. But Iowa State, they've still got the freshmen in. They're still struggling. 17 of 24 for Rocco Beck, 233 yards, a touchdown and two picks he was also leading Russia with nine carries for 31 yards it's 3.4 yards per carry the lead back Cartavius Norton had nine carries for 15 yards 1.7 yards per carry they could not run the football I mean defense they've always been good but good lord when you can't beat G5 opposition and they put up 10 points on you something's rotten with your team it's Big win for Ohio, but Ohio State, what the hell's going on with them? Something's got to change soon. When they had Brock Purdy, Xavier Hutchinson and Brees Hall, they were still a bad team. And they've all gone. And this team has somehow looked worse. Right against Iowa, like I said last week, both teams weren't great. It was another one of those like turgid defensive performances. And this week, yeah, both defences just made hell for the other opposing offense and the worst team on the day loss. Both teams were pretty bad. Like I say, neither of them could run the ball for love and money. Like I say, it was just rough. And in the end, Ohio scraped through win because they were the least poor on the day, I suppose. Like, this is probably one of the least watchable games of the weekend. Kudos to them, like I say, to hold a team let's say, a Power 5 team to just seven points. And I feel sorry for the quarterback. Like you say, I feel sorry for Beck because he's not like he's got much help. He's not really supporting cast. There's no run game to take any pressure off him. He's kind of just been thrown in there and said, win the games for us, please. Like you say, try, try, be the guy. And 
it's too much too soon and there's loads of pressure on the kid and yeah like and but then behind him the depth chart there's probably not many better options right now so it's just trial by fire for the cyclones in what is going to be a terrible year yeah and in ohio they probably won't take anything from this win they'll be high packer but will they be happy with the performance no definitely not they'll be like god who played way better than this and lost before so they won't they'll probably forgotten it already and they'll just hope this week to play better so yeah it was it was bad for everyone involved yeah a a tale of two teams so say ohio and south alabama big upsets against the big 12 they are both going to go into their respective campaigns hoping to win their conference this year so big wins for them as it pertains to that so we will keep a close eye on them but yeah oklahoma state iowa state oh boy those are some bad situations i mean they may be propping up the big 12 by the time the year is done because west virginia look a lot better and they're the guys who've been down there recently um brian shucks in the building hope you're doing well brian he goes college football am i a day ahead this week no you're not what it is matt's on holiday i'm having to prep all the shows this week they take like five six seven hours per go to prep these things i've had to do three and four days i just don't have the time so i've just had to push the schedule back a bit the falcons preview will probably be on saturday i think that that is when we'll do it the day before so sorry about that it's just i want to make these shows good and i need to put the time in to be able to do them so please just bear with me fan man's joined as well um hope you are doing well there sorry i was miles off um right let's carry on with some of our upsets here um oh another team not doing well this year and i was all in on them utsa struggling frank harris the quarterback injured Threw three picks in their loss the other week. He has an injury to his foot. He was seen in a walking boot before their game against Army. And Brett will be Brent will be delighted with this one. His Army Black Knights coming off with a big win here. 37-29 to on the road to UTSA, who were seven and a half point favourites in this one. And we talked in the offseason about Army. They are transitioning their offense. They're wanting to become more of a passing offense. As, as all the service teams are, they're trying to be away from just the the triple option team of the past and add a little bit more to it. And this was sort of the first week, because they've got an offensive... I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they've got an offensive coordinator in from a system that's sort of passed, you know, made the triple option a bit more pass-happy. And they, you could see that start to come to fruition this year. They put down... 37 points on UTSA. Bryson Daly, the quarterback, he was 7 of 17, but for 133 yards and a touchdown. Markel Johnson also threw a touchdown pass for 55 yards as well. So that was 190 yards passing and a touchdown on the day. And the run game, still effective. Hayden Reed, 20 carries, 107 yards and a touchdown at 5 yards per carry. Bryson Daly, 24 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown, just over 4 yards per carry. Jacoby Buchanan had 8 carries for 30 yards and a touchdown, just slightly under 4 yards per carry, but overall ran the ball excessively well and mixed in a lot of passes which kept catching UTSA out of their stance. In On UTSA's side, Eddie Lee Marburger, he's the relief quarterback for Frank Harris, Actually had himself a decent day, 17 of 25, 239 yards and three touchdowns. They ran the ball pretty well as well, 
Rocco Griffin, seven carries, 53 yards. Robert Henry, three carries, 32 yards and a touchdown. Joshua Cephas continues to ball out for this team. Great wide receiver. Eight receptions, 84 yards and a touchdown for him on the day. But ultimately, it's defense that plays a big part in this. And it's Army, 45 minutes of offense in this game. 45. This is what happens when you add... A legit passing threat to a triple option team. You can run the ball down their throat and kill the clock. But you also score points as well because you hit them with the deep pass when they're not expecting it. We're maybe starting to see the new iteration of this army team emerge, right? Because even without Frank Harris, this is the big scalp for them on the road, UTSA. They, they look like they're getting the hang of this new system they're running. Yeah, I was not good at Roadrunners at all because I picked them. And I was really disappointed by them. Like, Army still seeing what works and what don't work. And it feels like every opponent for Army this year is going to be a bit of an experiment. Like I said, they're kind of just seeing what they can get out of this offense, what the new scheme, how quickly they can get it down, how they're... It's going to be a case of, yeah, trying to catch teams out, catching them sleep. Teams that just don't think they can be caught out by Army trying to throw the ball because historically they've not been good at it. And sometimes that's going to come back to bite them in the ass like it did UTSA. At times they were caught napping when they shouldn't have been. Like I said, and Army aren't doing anything groundbreaking. They're not doing anything crazy or loopy. It's just every now and again when they get a matchup they like, they're taking a shot. Like I said, and they're trying to keep a defence honest. Like they're saying, we can move the ball down the field with their arms as well as to run the ball. So they're going to become a little bit more balanced now. And eventually, that will make them a much more dangerous prospect. And yeah, the UTSA defence, for the most part, it let itself down. Like I said, they were not good against the run and against the pass. They lost concentration at key crucial moments. So, yeah. And like without even Frank Harris, like I said, the quarterback came in, didn't even play bad. So if Frank Harris plays, that game probably doesn't go any differently either. Like I say, there's a good chance Army can still win, even if Frank Harris plays, because the quarterback situation for UTSA was not the root cause of the loss. But long term for their season, I've read that it could be out for two, three, four weeks. That's very bad for their season. Like I say, this is they're gonna have to try and adjust with a new quarterback going forward. But for Army great win and that will probably make few teams on their schedule kind of stand up and pay a bit more attention now they might have to adjust their game plan a little bit now for the the black knights coming into them yeah so i mean 45 minutes of possession that's that's like unheard of you don't often get like a straight up you exactly and this is where the arm this is where the service teams flourish if they get up on you early which they did in this it's so hard to come back because they just grind your defense into the ground. Like you say, when they're passing it, it extends plays because the, the weakness of service teams is too often you go three and out from running the ball and you can't run it. That's the weakness against them. But if they get on top of you with passing as well, then you just don't get the ball. And I mean, <laughs> you know, they were, they were lucky to put up the amount of points they did with just 15 minutes of possession. But I mean, a lot of it was trying to scramble in garbage time. So big win for Army. And that is, that's a big upset. UTSA coming into the America. I've picked them to win the American this year. If Harris is out long, I'm going to be wrong. I don't know who I put in the final with them. I think it was Temple, but I, I'm going to maybe have to rely on Temple 
to come through for me there. Right, let's move it on because we have a lot of upsets this week and we have an upset in the SEC this week, Ryan. Um, I bet on Florida in week one to go to Utah and beat them and they looked like absolute trash, like complete, utter swamp trailer trash. This week they play Tennessee and let's be honest, they absolutely wiped the floor with Tennessee. I mean, they put up in 20 points on them in the second quarter of this. This finished 29-16 to 16 Florida Gators over the Tennessee Volunteers who were ranked. And this is a team with Graham Mertz at the helm who is not great, let's face it. But even he against this Tennessee defense had a good day. 19 carries, uh, sorry, 19 completions on 24 attempts. 166 yards and a touchdown. Completely serviceable. Star of the show here is Trevor Etienne, of course, Travis's younger brother. Um, 23 carries, 172 yards at 7.5 yards a carry and a touchdown. Montreal Johnson and Graham Mertz also got rushing touchdowns as well. Um, Tennessee on their side, Joe Milton, 20 of 34, 287 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Could get no rushing offense going in this one at all. Jalen Wright was running at less than four yards per carry. Jabari Small only got seven carries. 35 yards, five a carry. I don't know why they didn't use him more. Milton got nothing on the ground. He got six yards on five carries here. Brew McCoy continues to have a great season for them at wide receiver. He will eat from Milton's passing. 94 yards on five receptions and a touchdown for him on the day. And a good touchdown it was as well. But... Tennessee just don't look the same this year, Rye, without um, Hendon Hooker. I mean, even last year when they were air raiding it all the time, they still ran the ball pretty well. But in this game against Florida, they couldn't run the ball. And Milton, as everyone is discovering, he's not this first overall pick legend, second coming of Anthony Richardson type. He's good, but he's not great. He's proven nothing here so far and, and they got exposed in this game and this is a massive loss for them in the SEC they don't they won't recover from that this year no this, this could end their SEC uh, tile hubs of getting into that championship game we were led to believe that this Tennessee offense ran that we can plug any quarterback in and we're going to roll four or five hundred yards on you that's what we were led to believe that this scheme was supposed to be like the friendliest quarterback scheme in the nation and that Hendon Hooker was just a passenger we're not seeing that with Melbourne. And yes, they lost, like I said, I, I think the losses of Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman were huge. But like I said, I've put Brew McCoy in my pleases and watched him so far. He's having a really good year. Like I said, he's the guy. But as you mentioned, they've got an established running back, Jabari Smalls. He's not getting used. He's not getting the share of the carries that he probably should be. He's very good. But to get nothing going against a Florida front seven or defensive line, that well, it's not exactly stout, is it? No. Florida defense last few years has been pretty naff. So to go there and fall short against, I'll give credit where it's due. Graham Mertz, like I say, was perfectly fine. Like I say, he did what he had to do. He moved the ball. He scored. But yeah, Trevor Etienne, he diced. Like I say, he absolutely gashed the heart of that Tennessee team, and he had himself a monster day, and a huge win for the Gators. Like I say, because we really didn't know what to expect to get him this year. Like I see, we didn't know if they were going to be a surprise package or a basement dweller. I still actually don't know. I don't know what the gators are. 
I've struggled to work that out for the first few weeks of the season. I think they're going to have to rely on Trevor Etienne a lot. But it looks like he could actually do it. He might be able to take the workload on his shoulders and carry him on. But for Tennessee, I don't know where they go from here. Like I said, this weekend, they've got to put up a statement win. They've got to forget this as quickly as possible. And they're going to have to try to get back to being that air raid offense if they can't trust or if they won't give their running back committee the carries. They're going to have to just try and go back to outpassing teams again. Yeah, um, it just didn't look great. And they say this is a Florida team that looked poor, but I mean, what's their ceiling this year? I mean, their next two SEC games are Kentucky and Vanderbilt. So they could quite realistically be 3-0 and in the SEC schedule there. So maybe they're not going to contend this year, but they could certainly take big strides forward this year. They could win five, six games in the SEC and give themselves a platform for maybe a better quarterback next year. This is this is a big opportunity for them now. This has opened up so much for them this year. Yeah, there's some proper law hanging through in the SEC this year that you've got to take. And no disrespect to Vanderbilt and Kentucky, but they're law hanging through. <laughs> I I know even with, like, say, Kentucky won't be easy, I'd say, Devin Leary, but Florida will look at those SEC games and say, OK, out of schedule, Sometimes we're going to struggle. But in conference, we we can hoover up some wins. We can get to a bowl game, win a bowl game. And this time next year, we could have a much better situation at quarterback. I highly doubt it's going to be there next year. I don't think they've got an edge bill left. But I reckon they will get someone in the portal a bit better. Or they must have the next four, three, four-star quarterback on the roster. Uh, they must have someone already in place. But oh. yeah. They're gonna. This is going to be a growing year for Florida to try establish some guys because they're going to have to replace Ricky Pearsall, like their best wide receiver after this year. I'm pretty sure he's going to try go to the draft. But yeah, this is going to definitely be a telling year for the Gators. The Tennessee, it feels like their window kind of ended with Hooker. Like I said, their playoff hopes like kind of came and went. Yeah, the, the defense is still not up to it. Last year it was a problem. You know, and this year it's still a problem. When when Florida are hanging thirty on you, you've got to start asking questions, and it doesn't get any easier for them. So, I think they're going to struggle a lot. But you know, for Florida, big opportunity for them. So upset there in the SEC. Next up, and I didn't actually realize this because I was doing them in a row, but there were three MAC upsets against the Big Twelve this weekend because obviously new teams in the Big Twelve keep forgetting, but. This was quite a poignant one, right? There's been a rivalry going on for a long time now, one that has been presided over specifically by one team who have been winning it forever and a day, but the underdog came and bit them this week. We're talking about the Miami-Ohio Redhawks finally getting one over in the Battle of the Bell over the Cincinnati Bearcats, 31-24. to This was an overtime victory here, and Miami... Really, when you look at the stat sheet, they have no right to win this game. Cincinnati put down 540 yards of offense in it to Miami's 360. More passing yards, more rushing yards. Ohio, uh, sorry, Miami were more effective when it came to their plays. They had seven and a half yards per play. But they had a lot less of the ball. 36 minutes on the clock for Cincinnati, just 23 for Miami of Ohio. Bearcats were up early in this one. But then they went into the half a point behind. Miami just kept pushing in front. 
Cincinnati had to come back with eight points in the fourth quarter to take it to overtime, but the Red Hawks got themselves a touchdown and got them with it. And this is a tale of two quarterbacks, maybe, for this one. On Miami, Ohio side's Brett Gabbert, Blaine's brother, I believe, 12 of 20, 237 yards, three touchdowns, just one pick on the day. He also led the team in rushing. He had 75 yards on nine carries. That's over eight yards per carry. It was the him show there. On Cincinnati's side, Emery Jones, the new quarterback, 18 of 34, 265 yards, but two picks on the day. Can't turn the ball over. They rushed a lot, though. Ryan Montgomery, 20 carries, 104 yards. Emery Jones had 20 carries for 101 yards and a touchdown. We know he likes to run the ball, but not to throw it necessarily. Corey Kiner got a touchdown for them on the ground as well. Xavier Henderson, 12 receptions for 140 yards, by far the best of Cincinnati receivers on the day. Um, but Miami's defense came up when they needed it to, right? The battle of the belt. This is this is a big win for the Red Hawks. We talk about Ohio maybe not taking much from their game over Ohio, Ohio, Iowa State. Sorry, good Lord. They, the Red Hawks, will take a massive win from this. I think this is eight in a row they lost before this. This is big win, signature rivalry win. Sets them up for the max season perfectly. Yeah, it is a big win. And Cincinnati going through... What is this huge transition? I say they've gone from being, like, say, the biggest outsider in college football history to losing all their players, to losing all their head coach. But they're still not a bad team. Like I say, there's Emory Jones, I know him well. Like I say, his time at ASU ended because of injury. Like I say, inconsistency, but ultimately ended because he got hurt. Emory Jones, like I say, like last year, trying to have a swan song, is not a bad quarterback at all. Like I say, rushing. He's a lot better when he can do a healthy mix of rushing and throwing. He's never going to be the perfect pocket passer, shown by the exceptions. But yeah, like I said, he's shown that he could keep them in the game. He could lead them down the field, score when they had to. So this Bearcats team is it's still not a mug, even though it's its really kind of fallen on hard times and trying to learn its new identity. So this is a great win for the Red Hawks, like I say, to finally get one, like I say, because... I imagine like when you lose eight in a row and you feel like the proper little brother, you're getting picked on, probably constantly getting crapped for it. To just 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 once be able to say like, I'm the man. Like say this is our year, and yeah, just to stop the rot. Like say to go forward. Like say with their title aspirations, a great win. And I'm a huge fan of Brett Gabbert. I really like the kid. Like I say I think he's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the nation. He's done really well at his time. Like I say and forever living in his brother's shadow but who knows if he could be one day a pro aspect i imagine he could do like a bit like a nathan rock and could go to like the cfl and maybe be really productive like say xfl usfl if he ain't gonna go make it to the major leagues that he's kind of quarterback that you could see somewhere playing pro football if it's not next year a year after like i said there are leagues out there where some will definitely get him. he's been really productive in his time like saying he's a good quarterback so yeah, that's them sending a signal to everyone else. The Max saying, like, we're here. Like, so the Red Hawks, we're ready to compete with you guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I'm pretty sure I had the Red Hawks winning this year. Was it them? I think I, I at least had them in the championship game in the Max. So it looks like very much they're ready to go for that. And say they've got one of the better quarterbacks there. I think it's them versus Ohio, probably, maybe out of these two teams. Both of them have statement wins this week. So 
yeah, there's going to be some very tough competition, but great win for the Red Hawks there and end that big losing streak against Cincinnati, who for them, well, they're 2-1 now. They had that big win the other week over Pittsburgh, and then they go and lose to Miami. So, you say team in flux. Who knows how they're going to do in the Big 12 this year, but there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for them to have a go at, so I'm sure they will still win a few games. Got a few more on the upset alert, so UNLV... Uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas Rebels upset Vanderbilt, the Commodores. Maybe maybe say it's an upset, but it's still SEC, Mountain West over SEC this is. UNLV put down 40 on them, in which was a highly entertaining game. Finished 40-37. to 37. Even more impressive for UNLV, their starting quarterback, Doug Brumfield, was knocked out early in this one. He'd gone 2-4 of four for 15 yards and thrown a pick. Freshman Jaden Mayava comes in. Throws 19 of 33, 261 yards, a touchdown, just one pick. First ever game there for him. Did well on the ground pretty much as well. Going about four and a half yards per carry there. Vanderbilt, AJ Swan, continues to play decent. 16 of 35, 296 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. They just could not run the ball whatsoever. They let this get into a, a shootout with UNLV. And, well, the Mountain West team had more firepower on their roster. London Humphreys had three receptions for 102 yards and a touchdown for Vandy, but their defense, they got two sacks on the day. They had a couple of picks, but they didn't get much pressure on the young freshman who was allowed to throw it and ball out a bit more. And UNLV's defense did. They had four sacks on the day. They were able to get pressure on AJ Swan. I mean, call this an upset or not, right? It's still G5 over Power 5, and Vandy have been better recent years. And for the Rebels... They're a team under Barry Odom this year. They're building on the work of his predecessor. They seem to be heading in the right direction now. They didn't look too bad against Michigan the other week and big win over a Power 5 opponent for them. Yeah, this this matchup probably came at a really good time for them. Like I said, it's weird like, how things go, like suddenly bringing in this new quarterback. Like, it wasn't forced and you don't know how long it's going to be for if he gets a start or has to play the next few weeks, but Sometimes when the light are the brightest, it kind of just clicks through. Like say through a pick, but ultimately on the day, he did help his team win. And Randy, like they are literally chalk and cheese, aren't they? You will never know which Commodore teams turned up. It's easy to see why they've struggled for so many years, but right now they kind of found some level of uh, consistency. Like say they've, they've definitely improved, but they're not yet turned the corner. But like, so you can't take anywhere from away from UNLV. It's a big win for them facing adversity after just half a half a quarter, having to bring in a freshman that's never played before and a defence that was able to be more of an output than Vandy's defence and gave AJ Swan a lot more to think about, did cause, like, say, pressure and didn't let him have his way. So they can take huge props from that. Like I say, wasn't by any means pretty for either team, but... It's always good to get into a high-powered shootout against an SEC team and come out on top. That will bode well for the young man's quarter, the young quarterback's confidence, especially if he is called upon in future. He now knows what to expect and knows that he can do it when he's called upon. And the last upset I had on here, they weren't the only SEC team, Fandy, to get upset this weekend. The BYU Cougars, heartbreaking my heart here, taking down KJ Jefferson and the Arkansas Razorbacks, and I did not see this one coming. KJ put down 60 on them last season 
and looked absolutely amazing. They were like 14-0 up after five minutes in this one. There was a long rush from AJ Green. I think it was about 50 yards start this one off. Then they had a kick return touchdown. Isaiah Satenga, he took one in from about 80 yards on a punt return. And you're like, oh yeah, they're going to absolutely light them up again here. But Arkansas, as they always have problems with, they're just some weeks they don't turn up and some weeks they struggle to put opponents away and get offense going. And in fairness to Keaton Slovis and BYU, they, they look more of a balanced offense this year. Keaton Slovis, 13 of 25, 167 yards, two touchdowns. LJ Martin had two rushing touchdowns, 77 yards. BYU have lacked a running back since Aligier left. The defense played amazing, sacked KJ five times. KJ was okay. He threw his first pick of the year, but he was 24 of 35, 247 yards and a touchdown there. They didn't allow him to run the ball at all. Um, Andrew Armstrong, the Arkansas wide receiver, breaking out big this year. Nine receptions, 98 yards. He's someone I'm going to highlight later on in the season. Big breakout there for him. But the Cougs, right, they're going into the Big 12. The Cougs come out with a, a big win. Cincinnati lose to G5 opposition. The Cougs go and take down the Razorbacks. They they look like they're getting back to their best. We know them. They're a physical team who will kick you in the mouth. And they went to Arkansas, and they did exactly that. It looks like they're finding their identity again. See, I don't know. I feel like I'm just more disappointed than Arkansas. I, I'm pretty sure Kane's lowest to me is he's still a bit of a bum, to be honest. No offence to him, but this is not a game you should really be losing. No. I'd say I think Arkansas, if they ever really want to be considered true dark horse in the SEC, these are the kind of games you can't lose. And yeah, BYU will probably make like transitioning to the Big 12 look fine because let's be honest, Big 12, it's ass. It's a bit cheeks, to be honest. I feel like they'll actually they'll actually be contenders in the Big 12 in two or three years. They'll be, if not a year or two, they'll be trying to win it. It's like Ian Slavery. He's going to try out that a swan song year but what you did call upon right is BYU if they can finally have a wrong game they did not have one last year it looked it was poor they could not run the ball at all and it didn't it made life hell for their quarterback not having an outlet like I said after Tyler Alicia left it kind of took all their juice on the ground game so yeah if BYU can be fairly balanced on offence and they can be uh, decent on defence like I say, six, seven, eight wins. Expect them to be in a bowl game, most certainly. If not, trying to be an outsider for a title game, I'd say. So, but yeah, they've, they've made adjustment like very quickly. Arkansas, I don't know what's a good year for them. I don't know. Are they just going to try and get like a steady eight and four, win a bowl game? Is that enough to have that's it? Because KJ Jefferson, like I say, he'll want to go on top. This is it, isn't it? He's yeah, going. This is like, a swan some of their best players are leaving, so you don't want to see them leave on a, a lull, but it feels like it's heading that way. Yeah, they're missing Rock- Rocket Sanders is injured at the minute. He's one of the best running backs in the country. They're, they're missing him big time. That just takes so much away from that offense when they can't move the chains with the running back. So, but at least it's not an in- it's not a conference loss for them. It's out of conference, so hopefully it doesn't kill their SEC hopes yet. But they want to have a good year. They want to be challenging for that. So. We'll see, and I, I'm pretty sure I put them in there as well, so I'm going to have to eat a lot of humble pie if they don't, so I hope they do well. Right, that was all the upsets. There were quite a lot. Now we've got the pick watch games and the Survivor Corner go through. Pick watch, we'll go through them a little bit quicker. 
Um, ranked upset this week. I so badly wanted to pick the Missouri Tigers last week, Ryan, against Kansas State, the Wildcats, but... Oh, my! if you want to go back and watch a game this weekend that was just fun, entertaining football, one way to the other, go watch the Missouri Tigers' 30-27 to win over 15-ranked Kansas State. This was a tremendous game, which I watched from start to finish, and I love every bit of it. Um, just lead kept changing all the way through this game, but then Missouri come up with 13 in the fourth quarter just to Kansas's three, and they overhaul a little bit of a lead just when the Wildcats were threatening to go away. And The Tigers may have found something here, right? Brady Cook, the quarterback, looks pretty good. He was 23 of 35, 356 yards and two touchdowns. And what he's got is a number one target. So Luther Burden is a star in the making. He was one of their super recruits from last year, like a, a, like a super elite five-star guy, not just a regular one. He's coming out big. Seven receptions, 114 yards and two touchdowns. They've got a bona fide quarterback, it seems, and they've got a bona fide wide receiver one. Mix it in with an okay team in Missouri. They might have a decent year because this Kansas State team are good and they're no slouches, but they matched them step for step and did it when it mattered. I raised both eyebrows when I saw one of the best high, high school receivers in the nation go to Missouri. I was like... Why? Why is Luther Burden going to Mizzou? He could have gone to anywhere. Like you say, he was a five-plus star. Like you say, elite talent. And Missouri have been irrelevant since the days of, like, Matty Mark, one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. They just kind of, like, just disappeared into obscurity. But a great win, yeah. And Brady Cook, like you say, looks every bit of the quarterback that he was hyped up that he could be. And then having Tyron Hopper, one of the best linebackers in the nation, being the quarterback on the defense, it just take it just shows it takes just a handful of players to sometimes carry a team over the line. And the Tigers, whereas they're not going to compete in the SEC, not yet, but it could be starting to see them turn the corner. Give it a year or two, and you never know; they could be trying to compete again. Like I said, because this is a really big team, the Missouri Tigers, and you only have to go back so many years to think about how dominant they were. We had guys like Shane Ray. How hyped was he going into the NFL? Like I said, a monstrous defensive lineman. Like, it's a talent machine. And yeah, I picked Kansas State. Like I say, they fell just short in the end because of offense. But yeah, a really good, pretty even game as well. It was just mostly offense back and forth. Yeah, it was. And I have no worries about Kansas State. I think they'll be just fine. They showed a lot in this game, but you know, SEC atmosphere on the day just got a bit too much for them. So, well done, Mizu. We'll see how you get on this year. Um, Air Force, 39-21 to 21 winners over Utah State. Dropped 350 rushing yards on them. Controlled the clock for just a shade under 40 minutes. I picked Air Force on this one. You picked Utah State. It's... Another service team who are just, just getting things right. They're not passing it as much. They have three of four for 84 yards in the passing game, but they are stacked at running back. Emmanuel Michel, three touchdowns, 106 yards. John Eldridge, touchdown. Zachary Larrier, touchdown. He's the quarterback. Um, another service team with big prospects this year. Air Force have been sort of knocking on the boundary. Um, I know Utah State ain't exactly a barometer, but this is a conference game. Conference win under the belt, quite dominant. If Air Force stay like that, for the rest of the year, they're, they're in the championship game. Yeah. See, I put them in a championship game, but this week I, I peaked against them. I thought, like, say, a passing offensive Utah State might be able to neutralise what I knew to be one of the best running running 
tandems, trios in the country. But no, they just dominated. And like I said, they just chewed up clock. Utah State never had a chance because they never had the ball because the Falcons just did what they do. I think the Air Force Falcons will probably be the last team to get good at throwing the ball. Yeah. Out of all the service teams, I feel like it'll be them last because they're so good on the ground and they're so disciplined, like say. And yeah, I feel like they're, if anyone is going to have success out of the three teams the most, quickest, it's going to be Air Force. I really do think they may have finally got a chance to get to a title game. Yeah, I mean, it's they're, they're the ones who've sort of always been there and about, aren't they? So you would you would expect them to be the sort of ones who are going to get there quicker. So, yeah, we'll we'll see with them. But good good for Air Force there. We'll see how they get on for the rest of the year. Um, one team who are looking in bad shape though, and who we did we did back these as well, Louisiana Tech. So North Texas, who were chipping six hundred yards of offense per game before this one. Didn't look really good on offense. Win a high-scoring shootout against the Bulldogs, 40-37. to 37. I mean, Louisiana Tech still put 430 yards down on them. But more importantly in this one, Hank Backmeyer knocked out with a shoulder injury. So his backup now, Jack Turner, will take over the reins. I mean, he had a steady day, 9 of 14, 145 yards and a touchdown. Tyre Shelton, the running back, had a beautiful day 16 carries average 10 yards per carry and a touchdown there but smoke harris two more touchdowns i know he's big on your list there as well great for him but north texas just came and and wrecked stuff here chandler rogers threw for 313 yards two touchdowns the running back iowa day 150 yards two touchdowns on this this was an offensive slugfest north texas were ahead for a lot in this and Tech had to come back in garbage time to make a game out of it. But big here, back my route for Louisiana Tech when we've both backed them to get into the CUSA championship game. That could ruin their season because this is a... Well, it's not a conference loss, but this is going to set them up really badly if he's not ready to go. Yeah, I think that season's over if he's out. If he's going to miss a couple of weeks, I pretty much think their chances are blown. As I don't know the backup, but I don't overly trust him if I'm completely honest like I say one of the best receiving callers in the entire nation LA Tech but they need a quarterback to guide them like I say they need someone with just a bit of experience I don't know if the, uh, their quarterback can offer that and the defence to feather defence absolutely blown <laughs> like I say their defence has not been good at all this season LA Tech that was just a flat out shootout and yeah once Hank went out of the game like I say and then the game got away from them they tried to make a fight of it in the end, but too little, too late. Worrying times for Louisiana Tech there. Right, moving it on. Still got a few games to go through. We talk about them every week, right? They're getting better, and they're showing they can win games every which way. James Madison, I picked them. We both picked them to win this game against Troy, defending some belt champions, but something just doesn't feel right about them this year, and the Dukes... Even though they can't compete for it, just look really good. Low scorer, 16-14. to 14. But what it shows, they're not all about offense, right? When it needs to, this year, that defense looks like it's just moved up a little notch. I know Troy are not the barometers for it, but Kamani Vidal's a great running back. Gunnar Watson is a decent enough quarterback to get points on the board. And James Madison, you know, they, they only scored three points in the second half, but defended resolutely. They look quite complete right now because we know that offense is good and will put down points but it's shown when it needs to it will get down in the trenches and fight out a slugfest 
and get those nitty gritty wins, the low scorers. Yeah, they're proving that they can win in both styles, which is the key. It's key for a team next year that basically next year they'll be like, it's title or bust. They've proven through what, 15 games of college football and FBS level that they are, they might be the best team in the conference. And they're not even eligible yet. Like I say, everything that's been asked of them so far, offensively, they've blown sides away. And then defensively, like I say, this weekend, they proved they're up to their task. So I, I'm comfortably saying they're the best. I'm comfortable to say they're the best team in the conference. Like I say, it, so far for me, I've now seen that it's not close. But well, I've got to look forward a year, like say, will they be as good when it actually matters? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've seen everything I need to, but hopefully it does continue. Troy, they probably won't be too upset about it. They did hold a very explosive offence to just 16 points. So I think they'll still be happy in the defensive side of the ball. But yes. offence, they struggle, don't they? Yeah, they just struggle once again, like I say. And good defence wins championships, but it's not always enough. No, no. That, that, again, I get a good read on this team. And just last year it was enough, but you can't do it two years in a row where you have an elite defence and a poor offence and win titles. You just can't do it going to catch up on you when it's caught up on them so well done James Madison two weeks time well I say two weeks weekend after this they play South Alabama going to be a cracker absolutely two of the best teams in the Sun Belt that is going to be a game to watch I would say watch it right now when you know that'll be one to watch going forward so great for them moving forward someone who you won't want to watch because you bet on them and I wish you hadn't in this Trent Dilfer and the UAB Blazers blown out by the Louisiana Rate. Raging Cajuns. I had Louisiana in this. This wasn't. This was a no contest. It was no points scored in the first quarter. Louisiana scored twenty four unanswered in the second. They got another ten in the third. So going into the fourth quarter, it's thirty four three. They end up forty one to twenty one winners when UAB go scoring garbage time. The air raid, the good old air raid, doesn't work if you can't run the ball, um, which. UAB can't. They ran it for... They had 106 yards, but they were averaging very little per carry on the day. Couldn't get it going. Louisiana, on the other hand, had 200-yard running backs on the day. Zion Chris, the quarterback, did what he needed to. But Louisiana were hurting off the back of a big loss the other week, Ryan. They came back and they whooped Trent Dilfer and Co. in this one. And Things don't look good for the Blazers this year. They got off to a poor start, and by halftime, they blinked and the game was over. Like I said, and up until the fourth quarter, stars didn't really do anything. They just tried to make the score respectable, but they didn't even really do that. And yeah, it's going to be a, a long old year for UAB and for Trent Delta. Not big on them. Moving it on, still got a few to go. Syracuse beat Purdue 35-20. to It feels like I lose on Purdue every week when I flip-flop between whether they're going to win or whether they're going to lose. Um, but this was just... Can't hold the quarterback in pocket. Garrett Schrader, the Syracuse quarterback, he threw for 184 yards and a pick. He rushed for 195 yards and four touchdowns. He is absolutely the quintessential running quarterback who can't throw the ball that well. And Purdue Rye, Hudson Card did great, 323 yards, a touchdown, did throw a pick, but they can't run the ball and they don't have any defense this year. Um... It's just not a recipe to win games, is it? Hudson Carr can't do a lot here. And Syracuse are Syracuse. Running quarterback, you stop him, you stop their offense. Yeah, Purdue's defense has been meh to bad most weeks. 
he's been very unimpressive every week. And yeah, Hudson Card has come somewhere to play first team football with a guy. Well, I suppose when you make your bed, you've got a lion, haven't you? He came here and he must have realised after the whole Jeff Brown thing that it was going to be a transition period. And there's not a lot around him. There's just not a lot going on in Purdue. And I like the Boilermakers, but they just, they're just going through the motions, it feels right now. It doesn't matter if he plays good, if he plays bad, it just doesn't feel like they're going to be convincing anybody anytime soon. Like I say in their defence, you know what Garrett Schrader is and everyone knows what Garrett Schrader is, so you know what you need to do, you know what you need to stop. But they couldn't do it. Like I say, he absolutely put them through the mincer. Design runs are just escaping and scrambling. Uh, either way, like I say, they just they could not get close to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, right, I've got a few more. So, TCU whacked Houston 36-13. to We both had TCU. Great day for them, but didn't learn too much about them there. New Mexico State won the Rio Grande rivalry 27-17. to And you kind of have to feel right. Danny Gonzalez's seat. They play UMass this upcoming weekend, and we've got that in there. Does this not feel like the weekend when it's all over for him? Because New Mexico State have not been good this year, but Diego Pavia tore him to shreds. He had nine completions for 203 yards as quarterback. You know, Jonathan Brady had three receptions for 109 yards and two touchdowns at 40 yards per carry there, and they ran them into the ground as well. It's it feels like Gonzalez's time is done there in New Mexico now, and this, the Reapers come in with his scythe, and this time next week, if they lose, he's going to swing it. Yeah, they're right on the wall. And last team I'm going to see is the Minutemen. Because <laughs> they, could, they could really bring a, your time to a close, because especially when your back's against the wall, they're probably a team you just really don't want to play when you're desperate and just clutching at straws to try get over the line, like you really don't want to see a team like them come that are a total anomaly at times. You never know which, know which UMass side's going to turn up. Yeah, no, you don't. And they look pretty good this year. We'll talk about them in a bit, but they, they look like they could beat them. I think that's going to be the next head coach firing next week if they lose. So, yeah, there's that. And then the last one from the pick watch. I don't we don't want... need to talk about this. <laughs> Oh, oh, but we do. Fresno State, 29, Arizona State, 0. Um, very quickly, eight turnovers, three quarterbacks played, con- combined for five turnovers, three fumbles lost. Um, they're just bad this year, aren't they, right? Shall we just say they're bad and move on? Yeah. Jay Richard is hurt. He didn't play. No. And <laughs> I had to be honest, just, just saying, actually, this time next year, He'll probably, if he's in the portal, don't be surprised if he enters the portal at the end of the season. Kenny Dillingham can only do so much this year has been going to be ranked, and that's why I bet against them and won every time this season so far, and I'll continue not, to bet against them. <laughs> they're not going in again. I'm saying that I, I that was my last straw with them this week. Trenton Burjay, one pick. Jake and Conover, two picks. Drew Pine, one pick. Yeah, no one worked, so unlucky for them and then we'll finish off week three's review god we had quite a lot this week but they've been really good it was a really good week the survivors corner very quickly wake forest nearly one of the biggest upsets this weekend to old dominion they were losing 24 10 going into the last quarter when old dominion did old dominion things and fumbled it away 
Wake Forest 27-24 winners, but good lord were they lucky in this one. So Old Dominion looked formidable this year. I think one of their DBs had two pick sixes on the day, so absolute day for him to fill his boots. Um, UMass, who we mentioned, 17-19, they lost to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan nearly lost this game. They scored a touchdown right at the end of the fourth quarter to save this game, and Bearing in mind, I'm all on the Chris Creighton train this year. I was biting my fingernails through the entirety of this game. But Eastern Michigan survivors only just... Kansas, Big 12, just survived Nevada, 31-24. to And this is Nevada, who got twonked by Idaho last week from the FCS. But Kansas could not put them away. Nevada, big, strong performance back there, to, but ultimately not enough to beat the Big 12 opposition. And speaking of Idaho... They were 17-0 up against Cal this weekend, Power 5 opposition, before succumbing 31-17. But Cal, awful, awful, awful from them. And Idaho, I don't know. I think they're ranked third in the FCS at the minute from what I see, the Vandals. They could be in contention there this year. And there's one game we'll finish off with. But those four, right, there's some teams can thank their lucky stars this week that they've not got a loss in the column. Yeah, a lot of them left it late. Most of those teams left it to the last drive or the last few minutes of the fourth quarter, and they just weren't able to save their blushes. And I hope we're going to talk about the team I want to talk about yeah. last. I watched it, and they were absolutely dreadful, even in a win. I've 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 left them for last. Is it is it a team that rhymes with? Oh no, no, I don't know. Why I do this, but is it the Alabama Crimson Tide? Are they who yes. you want to talk about? We, we we will talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide I would love then. to start by saying how good South Florida were. Daquan Evans, four tackles for loss and three sacks against an offensive line that should be NFL quality. He was absolutely brilliant. The Florida Bulls, they were brilliant. And up until, like, say, what, like midway through the third or the fourth quarter when they pulled away, it was 10-3 for, like, three quarters. Yeah. And he just could not get anything going. That defense absolutely stifled Alabama in every sense of the word. I was so impressed. Yeah, absolutely. So as Ryan said, the Alabama Crimson Tide against USF, there was a rain delay in this because of thunder. They were off for ages, but USF were leading this up until about half time. I think they went in level at the half, and Bama, it was turnovers that got them there eventually with this game, but... Just look at some of this that went on. So, Bama, they averaged 4.7 yards per game against UCF. That's 21st percentile. There's nothing there whatsoever. Explosive play rate was 3%. That was it. It was less than USF. USF had more. Third downs, they were only 37% on. And then USF's team, you talk about this, 14% havoc rate for them. They had... Let me get it. Eight tackles for loss, five in the passing game, three against the rush, five sacks on this one against that Bama D-line. Now, Bama had a lot as well. They had nine tackles for loss and four sacks. This game comes down to turnovers. The turnover look for Alabama was 16.4, and they only scored 17 points all game. So, basically, every point they scored came from turnovers. USF had six turnovers. They had five fumbles lost all of them and one pick on the day where Bama got all their points from. I mean, the USF offense was not great, but Bama 
everything's wrong. Quarterbacks look terrible. They've said Jalen Milrow's going to be the starter this week, but they've gone through three guys already, and I don't think they say that with any sense of trust about themselves. But the, like you said, the, the, the trenches, you against USF should not be struggling in the trenches on either side of the ball. The running backs couldn't run the ball. I think, how many carries did they have on the day? There were... They had a hundred. They had two hundred and thirty-five yards on the ground. Oh, was that Alabama? Hang on, let me double check that. But they couldn't pass the ball. They couldn't move the chains, and that O line got wrecked. We talked about this the other week. How they were losing the five-star recruits and losing their seasoned veterans on this team. Y'all can't give up that much to a USF team. With all due respect, USF bullied them in parts for this. If they had a half-decent offense, they'd have lost. Yeah. Ultimately, this game came down to terrible conditions. The conditions were dreadful. Yeah. Ball security. Like I said, it was like trying to hold a bar of soap. Like I said, unfortunately, they coughed it up every time. And USF will probably... I know it's weird, Clay, they have such a commendable performance, but they've probably been so mad at themselves knowing that they could have won that game. But they, they let it slip, literally. They put that game on a platter for a Crimson Tide team that does not belong... I don't want to hear anyone say the word like four seed. Absolutely nowhere should Alabama be in any contention this year to be anywhere near like even an outsider. They look poor. And not one of them quarterbacks do I trust. None of them have shown anything to warrant being a star. The crazy thing is South Florida had more time of possession in this game. Only by two minutes, but they kept the ball. I mean... I look at that Alabama offense. Roydell Williams is the only one I like. Like, he was really good in this game. He moved some critical chains when they needed to and scored a big, you know, touchdown for them. But I don't like the receivers, the offensive line. Brent says it. This is not a typical Saban team. It's indisciplined. It's not ruthless. You just feel like they've lost a killer instinct. Teams used to lose to them just because they feared them. Before the ball had been snapped, they'd lost because that fear was there. Feels like the fear's gone now, doesn't it? Teams like Texas and Georgia have gone in there and beaten them, and everyone else is like, actually, now we can go in there. I'm not scared of their five-star linemen. I'm not scared of their D-line. I'm not. I'm happy to take shots at the secondary, which is awful. That it feels like they've lost the intimidation factor. Yeah, teams this year are going to go into Tuscaloosa. I predict a few more losses at home for Alabama against the bigger boys. Some of them are going to go in there. And it's not Nick Saban, like I say, it's the fact that it's all dried up. But once that conveyor belt has just like, it's like, yeah, it's stopped, it's ended. Like I say, they've got talent, but like I say, they don't have the usual crop of pure five stars. Pure, like, they're just not there this year. Like I say, their quarterback room has been, it's going to be in constant flux all season with a battle of who is going to do a good job. That never happens. The Crimson Tide never have red marks, question marks about their quarterback. So, I like to say, their linebacker room, the defense in the last few years has just been decimated by the draft. They're just a victim of their own success. And eventually, it was going to catch up with them. And it appears this is the year that it's caught up with them. Like I said, and they could really struggle in the SEC. And I mean, this could be 
you know, this is a big pressure point for them because obviously they're waiting for Julian Sayan to arrive next year, aren't they? He's just been upgraded to number one quarterback in the 2024 class. Is he going to take a look at this and go, actually, you know what? I don't think Bama's the place for me anymore. They're not going to give me receivers who are great. Their offensive line's going to get me sacked all game. Maybe I'm going to go take a walk to Ohio State or somewhere like that. You know, this could they might lose him if they carry on playing like this. It's hard, I'd say, because they're such a big brand and they've got you such a use to producing the top level. It'd take a lot to flip him. But teams seeing Alabama struggle, that you will have boosters reach out to him. NIL, like you say, you may get someone try lure him. Like I say, he, they, they'll be hoping and praying that he enrolls next year and they can get him on campus as soon as possible because yeah. right now that there, there's no real solution on the roster right now. It just feels like if two or three games, Milner starts to struggle, I'll just bring Ty Simpson back in. I say, try him again, try him out. Yeah. Like say. And, and none of this feels like a saving issue, but also... Tommy Reese bringing in as offensive coordinator. It's no one ever seemed to like that move. It's it's not panned out as I said. Their offense looks stagnant. And everyone was delighted when Bill O'Brien left, thinking, "Oh, days are going to get happier." And it's like they've actually taken a step back. So yeah, it's this is bad for Bama. We're going to talk about them very soon because they're in the pit watch this week. So, are there any other games you wanted to mention from the weekend? I know we've gone through loads, but there were that many good games. This was a wonderful slate the weekend, just gone. So much great going on. Were there any other teams you want to mention before we crack on with week four? Penn State and Illinois was a good one. Oh, in fact, I'll mention that quickly before we do. Jazane Newton is an absolute freak of nature. He dominated Penn State on his own this weekend, just gone by, and he, he blocked a field goal. He had sacks, pressures. He harassed Drew Aller. Drew Aller had to take a restraining order out on him. He was that harassed. I mean, Penn State looked a bit funny, but Illinois are a good team. Big test passed for Penn State, but it's raised more, as many questions as it has answers about them. I've got another, you know, they're going to play again this weekend against another defense. If they win that more comfortably, I'll be there. But yeah, just say Newton. Fantastic weekend for him. Sorry, is there anyone Big else? Big tens yeah. Big tens been interesting. Rutgers, they stay on beat. Like I say, they <sighs> they looked at have they turned a corner at the Scarlet Knights finally become an average football team. I quite like to see it. Like I say, three and all, like I say, and now starting their in conference schedule. Let's see really how they do against the big boys. I they're a team I'm definitely keeping half an eye on this year. Like I say, cause I really like their defensive back. I think they're going to have a premier draft class this year. And, yeah, they start off with a trip to Michigan. So, good luck with that, guys. Let's just see. See see if they can make life difficult for their own defense. So, it's going to be interesting to see that. Yeah. Stern test for J.J. McCarthy. Because, like, Max Melton, he's playing out of his skin. I'd say their defensive backs, their safeties, their nickels. They are really one of the best units in the Big Ten. Yeah. I mean, what I will maybe quickly just ask before we move on to next week's ones, but Brent mentioned it earlier. Michigan struggled with Bowling Green last week for a good part of it. You know, I know they won 31 6 in the end, but JJ threw three picks and looked really poor. Georgia were in a 14 3 hole against South Carolina at the half, but then they came out and twonked them in the second. Florida State struggled. Texas struggled against home against Wyoming. Wyoming were leading that after the first quarter. And you're thinking, good God, Penn State struggled. Ohio State struggled for a little bit against Western Kentucky. They don't look themselves 
with the new quarterback there. I mean, Washington really, for me, they were the only team in the top 10 who looked good last week. I don't know. Who are you getting the vibes off from early? Because so many of these teams are struggling. Even Notre Dame didn't look great against Central Michigan. Washington were the only team who looked complete this week when they blew out Michigan State. I mean, who are you getting the vibes off early here? Yeah, it was one of those weird weeks where, like, sometimes teams have bad weeks where it's like everyone did at once. It's like it was like something in the air. Like, we're all going to struggle and we're all going to squeak past our rivals just this once. And, yeah, Washington, like you say, Michael Penix Jr. right now, I'm going to say would should be number two for the Heisman behind Jadar Sanders. Like, I really think he's got to be, like, a top three consideration. And they look by far the most complete team in the Pac-12. Like I say, Romo Dunze, he's playing himself into contention to be a first-round pick next year as a receiver. He looks really good. So, yeah. That that they are really climbing quite rapidly. Like I say, uh, Ole Miss. Like I say, Quinton Jukins did play. They're they're kind of ticking along really well, and Dart is kind of taking the ball. They don't look too bad. They, that's why I picked them as a championship team, like as an outlier to make the game. Like so, they're kind of doing their end of the bit so far. So yeah, but a lot is struggling. Yeah, like I say, LSU. Like I say, they're they're struggling, like you say. I saw that clip of what Har- uh, Harold Perkins. That was bizarre. You say it's getting a fight like it. Yeah, it certainly it was a weird week for everyone. Yeah, I mean, when you're dropping Harold Perkins into coverage, I'd be getting annoyed if I was that good at edge rushing and they just were insisting on dropping me into coverage. Something we have a problem with with the Lions at the minute. We're no strangers to that. But let's see how much you really believe in Old Miss and let's go forward to this week's slate of fixtures so we're going to do the 10 pick watch ones first and then we'll finish off just by talking about some of the others because there are quite a few good ones this week and I mean this is tough this week right this is a lot of where we get the big marquee names that we've not had before and this starts off and if anyone in the comments whatever you want to put your picks in there as well we'll see what consensus is but we're going to start off with the massive game in the ACC this week Florida State traveling to Death Valley to take on Clemson after that rotten performance against Boston College. Florida State are 3-0 on the season. They've wins over LSU, Southern Miss and Boston College. Clemson are 2-1 with wins over Charleston, Southern and Florida Atlantic. But of course, they took that pounding from Duke in their opener. Clemson have won the last seven in a row against the Knolls. And you know, this includes four games getting played in Death Valley at that time. It's exactly a decade since Florida State pulled out a win here and they've visited four times, as I say, in that period. Clemson have won seven of their last eight at home against the AP top 10 ranked teams. Obviously, Florida are ranked number four and Clemson are unranked for this. They're 41 of 42 in their last at home. The only loss came against South Carolina last year when South Carolina got ridiculously hot at the end of the year. This team, Cade Klubnik is having his troubles. Um, he's a very new quarterback. He, he's having he's having teething issues here, but he seems to have got better in recent weeks. Will Shipley's been his usual self at running back. They've got a good tandem at running back now, actually. The offensive line's been pretty good. Uh, defense has been getting much better for them. It didn't look good against Duke, but that's getting there. They, they had some trouble with the kicker. They've canned their kicker for the season and they're now playing a walk-on who arrived there five days ago. So 
Might be interesting if this comes down to special teams, but for Clemson, their season's on the line here, Ryan. They've lost to Duke, and a loss to Florida State means, I mean, the playoffs will be out of contention. The ACC will be certainly difficult at this point with the likes of UNC and Duke hanging around in there with them. They've got to win this game. As for Florida State, they've got to show that last week was a fluke bad performance because if they perform like they did against Boston College, Clemson are not great this year, but they'll drop 50 on them, like quite happily if they perform this badly and they will lose. Who have you got? Clemson are just unbreakable at home. They are maybe the lesser of these two teams at the minute, but have Florida State got what it takes to get the big one, or are you going Clemson? No, I've not lost there. I think Florida State bounced back. I think they snapped that seven-game losing streak. I think, from what I've seen, last week will have kicked them up the ass, and they won't perform like that this week. I reckon John Travis goes in there and has and Keon Coleman. I reckon they have a monster game against that defense. See, I don't trust Kay Klubnik yet either. I just think this is this is going to be the biggest spotlight he's been in, and I feel like it will get too big for him. Yeah, I think the trouble. If Clemson can run the ball, they've got a chance. If they can get Will Shipley going, because he's usually pretty good against Florida State, Will Shipley. If they can get him going, then it, they might win. But yeah, I just I can't get off the Florida State train now. I've backed them to this point. And if they lose, I still win because I get to take the mick out of them. So Florida State sweep here. Brent says Florida State as well. So we are all in agreement. They're going to have a bounce back week. I think so. Clemson. If Florida State lose, no team from the ACC can go to the playoffs. I mean, UNC, have UNC lost yet? UNC could, but I don't think they're going to go unbeaten. But yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think that's it. Then the Pac-12 opens up. All I'll say is my playoffs of Texas, Washington, and Penn State with Georgia is looking pretty damn good right now. I will just say, after four weeks, I'm looking like I might actually be right. Moving it on, how much do you fancy Old Miss, Ryan? Old Miss at Alabama, they take the trip to Tuscaloosa. Old Miss 3-0 on the season. They've beaten Mercer. Hard-fought win over Tulane and Georgia Tech. Alabama 2-1. They've beaten Middle Tennessee and South Florida with the defeat, of course, coming against Texas. In the last 10 years, Old Miss are 2-8 against Bama, but this may be the first time in a while that there's expectation for them to possibly win this game and be favourite. Alabama looked poor this year through three games. The pass protection is awful. They've got loads of four and five stars on guy there, but you say they gave up five sacks to Texas. They gave up five sacks to USF of all team. And Bama quarterbacks, they only threw for 50 passes in those games. The ball carriers are averaging just 4.4 yards on the ground. They only got 3.1 yards per carry against Texas. And, you know, Jalen Milrow's been poor. You take out his two touchdown passes in that game. He went 12 of 25 for 167 yards and two picks. Old Miss, on the other hand, Jackson Dart, he's doing alright. I know we've never crowned him as the guy, but he's thrown eight touchdowns to one interception. Quidshawn Junkins hasn't really got going yet. He's going at 4.3 yards per carry, but they've got the ground game. They've got the receivers. I believe finally that um, Thingy's back at wide receiver, the UTSA Zakari Franklin. I think he's back for this, yet they've not really missed him in the game. They've got a powerful offense here ready to pick on Alabama. Are you ready to call Lane Kiffin's number over 
Nick Saban in this SEC beatdown, or, or are Bama just going to find a way to somehow look their way into a win? Red Bulls are going to pound them. I think Ole Miss are going to absolutely drop a hammer on them. That I think they're going to rinse that defence completely. Judkins is going off. I reckon Judkins are going at least 100, 120 yards rushing. And Jackson Dart is going to make a name for himself. Oh, I love it. Like I say, this is ranked. This is Alabama 13th, Old Miss 15th. Brent agrees with you. He says Old Miss. Let's do it. Panel goes for an Old Miss sweep. They come up with what would be the upset. And this this is the... Do you think this legitimizes Jackson Dart if he can go to Tuscaloosa and win like it kind of has done with Quinn Ewers at Texas? Could this be the game where the doubts finally start to go about him? No, I won't think that much of Jackson Dart even if he does go out and torch them. I just think this is a Bama team you should be beating. Okay. I think it, it, I just don't think it'll tell me everything I need to know about him. But if he does it in a... Obviously, it's a bad environment to play in. I say it's difficult, but yeah. I think this is an all Miss side that should be beating this Alabama side. All right, so we are all in agreement through, so far through two. That is great. New Mexico at UMass. I've put this in. This is the toilet bowl game. You've got to throw this in here because no one ever knows what to think. New Mexico, one and two on the season. They've beaten Tennessee Tech, but they've lost to Texas A&M and New Mexico State. UMass are one and three on the season. They opened up with a win over New Mexico State, but then they've lost to Auburn, the Miami Red Hawks, and Eastern Michigan. But they've been weirdly competitive for a UMass team. They are not as bad as they've been in recent years. Danny Gonzalez, like I said, he's on a molten hot seat. Brian Vincent sat there as his offensive coordinator, bought his own quarterback with him. You can't lose the Rio Grande rivalry in UMass in seven days after four years in the job and survive. I think he's done if he loses. Don Brown, on the other hand, seems to have injected at least some part of life here into UMass, and it's at home. They'll be looking for win too. They'll want to start creeping towards a bowl game if they possibly can. Um, who have you got in the toilet bowl, Ryan? New Mexico or UMass? Give me UMass. How hard is that schedule have been? That's an awful first four games. A Chris Crichton resurgent Eastern Michigan. Like I said, Auburn, New Mexico State, now back at home. Yeah, I think the Minutemen are going to win. I don't know if it'll be enough to get Gonzalez fired, but I reckon he'll be very perilous after he loses this week. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think he'll be in. A, I think he'll be in a lot of bother at a minimum, but his seat will be one of the hottest in the country. Now that Neil Brown's won the backyard brawl, his seat is a little less hot. So I think Danny Gonzalez has overtaken him. Uh, yeah, UMass sweep again. Everybody in agreement. Brent says UMass. That great. Let's go for it. Um, next up, ah, this is going to be my favourite game of the weekend. I feel like one of Pac-12, the two remaining teams in the Pac-12, and so much is on the line here. Number fourteen ranked Oregon State travel to number twenty-one ranked Washington State. Oregon 3-0 on the season, their wins over San Jose State, UC Davis and San Diego State. Washington State also 3-0, they've beaten Colorado State, Wisconsin, that impressive win, and Northern Colorado. Like I said, this is the battle of the Pac-12 outsiders. They've never met, so the Beavers and the Cougars, they have never met as ranked opponents in history. They have played 97 times, this is the first time they've ever both been ranked. Washington State officials are expecting a sellout in front of a national broadcast television audience, and you've got two big hitters 
Dark Horse big hitters here in one corner. Oregon State's coming in with its highest AP Top 25 ranking in more than a decade. In the other, Washington State has returned to the rankings for the first time since Mike Leach left the program in 2019. And you've got battles all over the field here. So coaches, Jonathan Jonathan Smith, he's the first coach to get Oregon State to a 10-win season in more than 15 years. He's a former Beaver quarterback, a good one. At that so Oregon State have got the hometown head coach really bringing them in there you've got Jake Dickert second year as Washington State head coach he's bringing them to relevance in a really loaded Pac-12 conference these are two really up-and-coming coaches here at quarterback you've got DJ Uangalele resurgence after his Clemson days coming up against Cameron Ward who I have admired for a very long time since his incarnate word days he has matured so much in his time at Washington State. This is a great quarterback battle there. And then you've got the teams themselves. So Washington State, they have the 7th ranked offense in the nation. And this is coming up against Oregon State's 12th ranked defense in the nation. So who wins out of that? I think Oregon State's offense is about 30th and Washington State's defense is 60th. So maybe a bit more of an imbalance there, Ryan. But these are two really impressive teams. Great starts to the season. Quarterbacks who are confident in form. Oregon State maybe the more physical of the two teams, but Washington State got a lot of finesse to them. They beat down Wisconsin twice, which is not easy to do in terms of the physicality of a game. Oh, I'm just looking forward to seeing this. I don't know if I care who wins, but who have you got in this one? Oregon State on the road, sell out TV cameras, who shines under the lights? See, I've watched Oregon State. I watched them against uh, San Jose State. They, they were good, but they've had a cupcake schedule. I think they're inflated. I think this is their first test, and I think they fall short. I think Wazoo wins it at home in front of the cameras. I reckon Cameron Ward has a massive day. I think that too. Washington State, like you say, they've got a Power 5 scalp. Oregon State do not. And, you know, that is big. They've had a much tougher schedule so far, Washington State. have. I've got Washington State winning as well. Brent has. All three of us are agreed on all of these picks so far. I think the sky's about to fall in, but hey-ho. Let's enjoy it whilst we can. Um, rolling on with the great games here. So, going into the Big 12... BYU at Kansas. BYU 3-0 on the season. Wins over Sam Houston, Southern Utah and Arkansas. Kansas 3-0 with wins over Missouri State, Illinois and Nevada. So kind of pretty similar schedules. Both got an FCS win. Both got a couple of decent FBS scalps. It's the first meeting of these teams since 1992. And BYU's first ever Big 12 game. This is also another game that's going to be played in front of a sellout crowd. And Kansas, this is the second year in a row they've started 3-0. and This time last year, they got college game day when TCU came to town and they ended up losing that one, losing their unbeaten start. But Jalen Daniels is back. He's healthy. He threw for 300 yards the other day against Nevada. Looked great. Devin Neal at running back is a stud. I think he had like three or four touchdowns in that game. The defense has been pretty decent for the most part, whereas BYU, they're rediscovering that physical identity, that running the ball, like kicking people in the face type thing. And 
if you can keep the ball long sustained drives away from that Kansas offense, they've they've got a chance. But and a big statement win over Arkansas, they're just coming off. So who have you got in the battle of the Big Twelve, right? BYU on the road at Kansas. I'm going to go with Kansas in a tight one, probably in a high scorer, because I think I prefer Jalen Daniels to Kinslow. To be honest, I just feel like they've got a better quarterback situation. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like the biggest cop-out in the world ever for this, but I'm the same. I, I like the quarterback better here. I like Jalen Daniels better. I want Kansas to succeed, but we got burned on this last year. I think we both picked him to beat TCU, if I remember rightly, but let's hope second time is a charm with this. So Brent's gone Kansas as well, so all three of us, through this is unheard of, us going this far without deviating. And this is a tough schedule, so there's some credence to this. We're... we're Predicting these is great. Okay. Now, I think we're going to agree on this one as well, but interesting. Ranked fixture, Pac-12. We're back to talking about good old Deion Sanders again. The Colorado Buffaloes ranked number 19 at Oregon. Ranked number 10. Colorado 3-0 on the season. Obviously, wins over TCU, Nebraska, and Colorado State. So, that's a ranked win, technically, over TCU. Oregon, they've had a cupcake schedule so far, 3-0 on the year with wins over Portland State, Texas Tech, and Hawaii. But big to note here, the only game they've played against credible FBS opposition, they nearly lost to Texas Tech. That defense is still not good. But Bo Nix throws for a lot of yardage, and they run the ball pretty well as well. Potent offense, bad defense... Exactly the same as Colorado. Potent offense, bad defense. It's just whose quality is better. Oregon's defense may be better overall, but uh, Colorado get the takeaways. This is Dion's by far the biggest test of his reign. It's in Eugene at Oregon. Um, I think I know what the answer is going to be here, but can Colorado go and upset Oregon or is Bonix going to lay waste to them? This comes down to which quarterback do I think can keep playing at such a high level for the whole game. I think, yeah, Oregon's defense is better, but I think Colorado defense can generate multiple turnovers. And Bonix has sometimes been sloppy. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Colorado in like a hundred point game. I just see no defense or like pick sixes. I think Shazer Sanders just just goes wild. Oh see you've Put it out there now. You're making me think about it. I mean, Bo's not thrown a pick this year, but we all know how culpable he is to it. I, this is the problem I have. It's I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I yeah, think, I think I, they're massive scoring. I'd take the over on 100 points if we were going to do it. That's how much I think it's going to be. It's, like I say, who can get the most takeaways? Shadur, for the most part, they're both great at ball security, and he's got more weapons. He's got like four bona fide weapons, even without Travis Hunter. It's just, can they run the ball? Yeah, I don't see that offense. I don't see that wide receiver room in Oregon. It just doesn't do much for me. No, that's the thing. There's just more offensive weapons in there. It's in Eugene. And Oregon, really, that game against Texas Tech, they struggled. They just outright struggled. And it took a turnover right at the end for them to to get away from it. I just, I think I'm going to go with you. I think I'm going to go Colorado as well. Colorado sweep here. And I've just learned not to bet against him now but yeah it's just the matchups where it matters I just think they will get some turnovers on Bonix and Shadur will keep it quite a clean game so 
Wow, surprising Colorado sweep there. Didn't think that one was going to happen. Um, next, we've got ACC action. UNC, ranked number 17 at Pittsburgh. UNC, 3-0 on the season. They've beaten South Carolina, Appalachian State, Just, and Minnesota. Didn't look great in that either. Pittsburgh, 1-2 and on the season. They won over Wofford, the FCS team, but then successive defeats to Cincinnati and West Virginia. But this is at Pittsburgh. We know Pat Narduzzi's teams are good. They're going to have a bounce back sooner rather than later. And Drake May has not been convincing so far. He's been throwing picks out like they're candy, whilst throwing touchdowns as well. But UNC have struggled against App State, and they didn't look the best against Minnesota. It's just our Greek friend, Kaliak Manis, kept throwing picks to them. Um, who have you got here, Ryan? I watched the Minnesota game, and like I say, they made life really hard. Kyler Newbin, the safety, the defensive backs were really good. And UNC were lucky because, like I said, Kalamanakis got hurt. His backup came in. Power was told, don't do anything stupid. Threw an interception <laughs> straight away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First throw, tosses a pick, and then like, the game changed. But it took them ages to put the Golden Gophers away. Like they weren't struggling. But this is Pittsburgh we're talking about. This is Bill Jerkovet. Like, UNC will win comfortably. But that does not mean Drake May will enamor me. It just means that Pittsburgh are just bad in all the wrong places. I mean, UNC will win comfortably, but they're not going to convince me. I mean, I would place the over at interceptions in this game at five, and I would bet the over. Both of them are throwing picks like there's no man's business, and both teams have got DBs who are very pass-catch happy this year. See, this is where I would make stupid decisions. But UNC can run the ball. Uh, Marion Hampton. Hampton. Yeah, that's... See, this is where I would make stupid picks in the past, and I would say gut, I'd say Pittsburgh at home, but I think UNC... Marion. We know UNC are that much better when they got the running back in with them, and Marion Hampton looks legit, and something just doesn't look right with Narduzzi's team this year. So... I think I might regret this, but I'm going UNC as well. Brent's gone Pittsburgh... And Oregon, so we've diverged from him completely now, so everything's not going crazy. Um, so, yeah, we've got that one there. UNC sweep for us. Ooh, these just get better and better this week. Ohio State ranked number six at Notre Dame, ranked number nine. Ohio State 3-0 on the season. They've wins over Indiana, where they look bad. Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. Notre Dame are 4-0. They played Week 0. They've beaten Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, and Central Michigan, who did hang with them for some time. Now, Notre Dame, they've been rotten. In big fixtures like this in previous years, I think there's something like 1-9 in the last 10 when it comes to facing these big oppositions. However, they've never had a quarterback like Sam Hartman not in recent years, who is an absolute game-changer when it comes to these high-profile environments. They are running the ball well this year. Yeah, Audric Estime is a baller. Yeah, he is running the ball really well, and Sam Hartman has got that passing offense going, unlike anything we've seen in recent years. He's uh, he's over a 1,000 yards already. He's got 13 touchdowns. No interceptions. He's not turning the ball over. This Notre Dame team are not turning the ball over. And Ohio State, I just do not believe one bit in this team. I just think they are utter frauds. They struggled week one 
to put away a piss poor Indiana team and McCord even though he teed off on Western Kentucky who've never had a good passing defense for as long as I can remember I just not settled by him at all now I know Ohio State killed him last year in the reverse fixture but Notre Dame feel a bit different this year right do they have what it takes to finally snap this streak and take one down on Ohio State well, Notre Dame this year have got like one of the best linebacking pairs in the nation. Like I say, best left tackle. Like, so I get, yeah, got Tommy Eichen. I know, like, say they've got Eichenberg on the high state defense, like Jack Sawyer. But on the other side, you've got JT Bertrand, who's been one of the best linebackers in the nation so far, and their defense has been really stout. And they've also got the ex Ohio State defensive lineman Jean Baptiste. So he's going back to his old team, and he's done really well. He's big. Do you know what? Give me Notre Dame in a shootout. Like, let, let, the run game could really be the difference here because I'm yet to see Ohio State really run the ball. Has, has Trevor Henderson had a, big, a massive game yet, is it? Or? Me, Mian Williams was getting some of the carry. I think Mian Williams did the stuff against, um, against Indiana. Let me just quickly get it up here just so we can go into this one. Um, Feels like Trevor Henderson has become such an afterthought. Is he hurt or...? They're wasting him. I think they're just wasting him. But, I mean, what are we here? Rushing on the year. Travion Henderson, 30 carries, 191 yards, 6 yards a carry. Mian Williams, 18 carries, 73 yards. Diamante Trevenham, 19 carries, 133 yards. I mean, they're averaging a lot per carry, but they're just not using him. They seem to be just using McCord instead. But, it, yeah. They've got five guys over 100 receiving yards already. Malvin Harrison's at 300, but... Yeah, he'll have a massive game, but I think he can't do it on his own. No. Give me Golden Gophers. Give me, yeah, the Golden Helmets. The, the fight, yeah, the Fighting Irish. I, I, don't, I just don't want to bet against Ryan Day because I know that he'll kick me in the ass and they'll win, but I genuinely think they are a legit bad team this year, Ohio State. They just don't look anything like they normally do, and I think Notre Dame do look legit. So I'm with you. Notre Dame sweep. Brent's on the Notre Dame train as well, so yeah, we're back to ways thinking apart there. And then these just get better and better. UCLA ranked 22 at Utah, ranked 11. UCLA 3-0 on the season, wins over Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, North Carolina State. Utah 3-0 on the season, they've beaten Florida, Baylor, and Weber State. Now, I'm rising, he's back though apparently. Cam Rising is back, and no, and Utah have two Power 5 scalps, including Florida and Baylor. UCLA have played a cupcake schedule so far, so how good is Dante Moore, the freshman, when it comes to playing real opposition? Because if there's one thing the Utah defense can and always has done well is get picks and takeaways and can nullify a better opposition by just keeping their offense off the field. I mean, that's what they did against Oregon. Really, ran the ball down their throat, got the picks, you know, when they won the championship the year before last. And Oregon were a better team on paper, but they just they just did away with them. UCLA have looked really good so far this year, but they've not Their run, faced... their run looks good. Carson yeah. Steele, the Mac transfer. Yes. He, I... he had some massive yards per carry last week. Yeah, he did. And I flagged that up. He's been great in the Mac. And Junie said he'd be okay in the uh, Pac-12, but he's been great. So, on paper... UCLA look like a great team, but they've not been tested and they're on the road in a rough environment against Utah. Utah, defense looks good, running game looks good, quarterback you've got to sort out, but 
The backup has been more than serviceable. Two power five scalps. It's at Utah. Who have you got in this one? Because I'm struggling here. Despite everything you've told me, Dante Moore. He's the man of the hour. I think he's one of the next stars of college football. Give me the Bruins. Let's say a heavy run game. And that defense is just one of the best. It's one of the underdogs of the nation is that whole defense. I think the Bruins have got enough. And I think it'll be a huge upset, to be honest, going in and beating Cam Rising. I think, I don't think he's going to be excellent on his return. No, no. It, it, they might go with Nate Johnson, you know. They might even just try and work him in because Nate's a better dual threat back as well. So, I mean, he had like 100 yards the other day. So, oh, I just, is this the breakout of UCLA finally? I get burnt by Utah. I bet on Florida against them at home. I genuinely thought Florida could do it. Oh, I'm going to... I don't know if we've diverged yet. I don't want to do it on... No, you know what? Screw it. I'm going UCLA as well. I do think they look good. And I think that Utah are good, but I just don't think they're a championship caliber no more. I think they've lost too much, and I think UCLA are going to do it. So I'm with you. UCLA there. And then the final one... Texas Tech, West Virginia, Big 12 action. Texas Tech 1-2 and two on the season. Only win this season has come against Tarleton State. They've lost to Wyoming and Oregon, uh, but only just to Oregon. Very valiant performance there. Just the quarterback keeps turning the ball over. West Virginia 2-1. and one. Wins came against Duquesne and Pittsburgh last weekend after they opened the season with a, a valiant loss to Penn State, but they've lost their, back, they've lost their quarterback. They've lost C.J. Donaldson to injury as well, which hurts the run game, although they have guys after him. It's a bit of a, an interesting one. It's at West Virginia. Who have you got, Ryan? This just stinks of a West Virginia not turning up in a Texas Tech upset. It does, I don't it? rate the Red Raiders in the slightest. Like, say, Tyler Shook throws loads of touchdowns, but for every touchdown, he gives the ball over an interception. He is Marmite. But, yeah, the Red Raiders are going to go in and cause an upset. You know what? I love the look of West Virginia's defense this week. I just, if Shuck's gonna throw that many picks, they can just do enough to get over the line. I think this is the first and only time we have diverged. So we have basically the same picks this week for the first time ever. Um, but I do believe in West Virginia. I just think they looked really good and on defense. They're just gonna get so many attempts to get at Tyler Shaw. Shuff. I'm gonna go West Virginia going to be the only one we diverge on this evening so that is everything in terms of the pick watch teams now there are lots of other good games going on this weekend starts tonight georgia state are playing coastal cal georgia state are 3-0 and so if they win again you're probably going to hear about them in the main section next week because there's something good going on there but in terms of the other big ones iowa penn state this week ryan just quickly talk about Iowa. Look, well, they're as good on defense as they've ever been, but the offense looks slightly credible this year. You saw how Penn State struggled with Illinois last week. Any any upset chance here, or do you reckon Penn State just going to roll the floor with them? It's weird because I'm pretty sure I saw like Iowa had like a 92.2 PFF grade on defense. It's like up to date, like I say. It's one of the best defenses in the nation. Unfortunately, they're going to be on the field that long that they will succumb to Penn State. That's the only issue. Like I said, I think their defense will give Penn State loads of issues, but it's just going to run out of steam. That's mm. it. And they just Penn State's got the offense to overcome them in the end. 
But I still reckon it could be a... Let's put the under at 40 points. I reckon Iowa can really make life difficult for them. It won't be pretty, but yeah, it's a it's a serious test of Penn State and Drew Aller. Like I say, you got a, uh, I say you got Castro the safety. You've got Nwankpa the safety. You've got Cooper DeJean. So the backfield again is littered for the Hawkeyes. So yeah, they can't take them too lightly just because of game at the Mara just being bang average. Yeah, if you can stop Penn, to work for it. if you can stop Penn State's run game, it could get very interesting. Like you say, if you're gonna have to throw at that secondary, they will turn the ball over, and McNamara can maybe just do enough. But I, I, I still believe in Penn State. I think they'll get there. But yeah, an intriguing one. It's the only ranked matchup I didn't put in this week. But it, I don't. Iowa shouldn't be ranked. I don't know why they are. I feel like they, they're all the teams who deserve that. Um, other games. I'm not gonna insult you by asking whether they can win. I'm gonna. Ins- I'm gonna ask you. How many points are USC going to drop on Arizona State? 45 plus. That's less than I thought. Actually, it depends. I don't even know who's playing quarterback. So it could be be somewhere between 45 and 60. Let's have a look. The other ranked teams we've not mentioned, Georgia are at home to UAB, Michigan at home to Rutgers, Texas on the road to Baylor, uh, USC on the road to Arizona State, um, Arkansas on the road to 12-ranked LSU, Oklahoma on the road to Cincinnati, they're ranked 16. Duke on the road to Yukon, they're ranked 18. Miami, Florida, um, they're on the road to Temple, they're ranked 20. UTSA on the road to Tennessee, uh, who are ranked 23. Florida are at home to Charlotte, ranked 25. Any see, any fancy for a cheeky... See, LSU, I have not been overly impressed with. Arkansas coming off that upset. That seems like the perfect revenge game for KJ Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Go after that defense, I say. They want to throw how Perkins in coverage more, throw the ball at him. I you say I would go after that LSU team. They feel very vulnerable right now in the SEC. That could be quite an interesting game. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and then after Arkansas, I was going to put it in the pick watch this week, but after they lost that one, I was like, I can't do it in all good faith. But I think this chance of an upset there. I think if you're looking for major upset territory. I mean, if UTSA can do anything against Tennessee, there could be something there. It might not be easy for them, but certainly it's going to be absolutely tough. Um, Got SMU-TCU, the rivalry game again. The Mustangs versus the um, Horned Frogs. Obviously, TCU, things are not going as well for them this year. Obviously, the opening week defeat, they're still doing well. SMU are what they are, but that's a big rivalry game. Um, You expecting TCU to win that, or...? Good SMU yeah. upset. SMU stink. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> um, I, bet, I wish. I bet Tanner Mordecai wishes he was still there, though. Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah, no. Uh, if he did, I'd probably bet on them to win that, but he's not, so yeah. Um, oh, hang on. Just Battle of the um, Vanderbilt at home to Kentucky. SEC, bottom of the barrel. Could this be another win for Vandy on the schedule? It could be. Because uh, the uh, the life for uh, it's not gone exactly well as it for Devin Leary at start of Kentucky career. No, I I don't know why he went there. To be honest, yeah. I don't run Wildcats whatsoever. I feel like AJ Swan could go and have himself a day if he wants to. Yeah, I think he could absolutely. I, th- I think there is the possibility of an upset there. Um, a few others going on. James State, James, James Madison, away at Utah State. In fact, no, let's end this show. So I've been going a while, so let's wrap it up. 
The game of the week here for me, where the hell's it just gone? We've got to got to go on this. Oklahoma State on the road to Iowa State, Ryan. To behemoths. Oh, be- <laughs> Shall we do an over-under for this? What, what, how low is your over-under going to be for this? Iowa State, Oklahoma State. I'm going to say 22, and I'll pick the under. I'm going to take an Iowa State upset. I think the freshman bet is going to have a massive day. What would your over-under be for this one? I don't think there's going to be any points in it whatsoever. Under like 37. Oklahoma oh, State, they're going, three, yeah. they're going to play three quarterbacks again and struggle. It's going to be a long old day for the Cowboys. Oh, it is indeed. Um, right, let's wrap it up there because we've been going a long time. Um, but we had some great action in week three, which we needed to talk about. There's so many fixtures this week. We only get one show a week to do it. So sometimes they go long, but there's a lot to talk about. So thank you to everyone who's joined us this evening. Really appreciate you all. If you've got any questions you want to quickly get in before we go, please put them in just as I go through all the next shows and stuff. So the main Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the Atlanta Falcons preview will be coming up very soon. I think it'll be Saturday. Like I said, with Matt away, it's just the schedule's gone a bit topsy-turvy because I'm having to prep all the shows and I'm still trying to sort a guest out for it. So we will do one. We'll probably be your way Saturday there. And then me and Ryan will be back in a week with the college pod. I mean, God, there'll be a lot to talk about next week as well, as there always is. Reviewing week four, going ahead to week five. Don't forget, as always, if there's players, position groups you want us to do scouting on, bits like that, because we know a lot, <laughs> let us know and we'll do it for you. We take requests all year round, so we honestly don't mind if you do that. Um, you can find us all over on the internet, Roar of the Lions UK, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. Um, our group is Roar of the Lions UK, and our group is Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. The website, don't forget to check that out, roaroftheLionsUK.com. Ash puts his preview articles up every week, so go check them out. He'll give you the latest of all the stats and that you need to know about the week's upcoming game for the Lions. Uh, the guys will be back on Sunday as well doing the live watch along Matt will literally just be back off holiday so it might start a little later than usual but bear with him he'll be he'll be fresh off the plane and just got home by the time they do the reaction show for the Falcons game but they will be there so come ahead join them show them support they they love to do their commentary on there and they're pretty damn good at it so and of course you can follow along with me on Twitter because I will be doing the the Twitch uh, the Twitter stream as well which is always good fun um no questions in there so that is us done thank you ever so much Raya as always and to Hank for making his appearance earlier as well we shall see you again over the weekend and for the Falcons game but until then have a great day enjoy yourselves and we will see you soon one pride thank you for supporting the Roar of the Lions UK podcast you can find us on our socials on YouTube Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter and Instagram, ROTL underscore UK and on our website www.roaroftheliondsuk.com.